Now get ready for the time of your life, cause you are now watching Godhead. Welcome to Godcat, the show where one of the hosts wants a rubber duck. I'm your host, Hydrowave99, and I'm joined here today with Flufalpaca. How are you today? I don't know. Um, I uh, had to sit through like, what, a minute or so? Oh, I just sit through like a minute or so of that, like uh, him squeezing the rubber duck and saying, wah, 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 which, I mean... It's fine and all until I thought I heard him say WAP, and then I was like, oh, hey, that's a pretty good song. Reminds me of a life I'll never have. <laughs> so, uh, that's how I'm doing. Fucking prick. Well, speaking of, you know, WAP, I mean, after all, this is episode 34, and. Yep. Our good friend... Get your sketch pads ready. <laughs> yes, because ladies and gentlemen, apparently if it's episode 34, it must also be rule 34. I mean, then again, I also made R34. This is why mom doesn't fucking love you. <laughs> and you can see here, this is our lovely friend, Fuhopaka, making love to the Hatsune Miku rubber duck. But is she riding it? Or is she riding it? <laughs> Anyways, um, sorry. Uh, hello, uh, adults only, uh, age restriction. Thank you for, um... Showing us your grace. Uh, while I'm at it, I might as well ruin our chances of uh, ever, you know, uh, ever doing that. My, by, uh, where is it? Uh, wait one second. Oh, yes, where it is. Here it is. Um, so most of these are censored, but, but that's just because I'm like, I'm cautious when I make this stuff. So, like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I should really show this, so I, I censored it. You can tell that it's... Oh, it's attached to my fucking face. God damn it. <laughs> so, this is the waifu that appeared earlier uh, for audio, audio view, or... Well, for listeners, I guess, then. Um, basically, I'm flashing an image of what appears to be an alpaca with... Uh, it it's it's lying out like a it's it has both of its legs and arms up in the air and uh if you use your imagination <laughs> if you use your imagination then uh you'll see what i mean <sighs> anyways uh we got uh what is it <laughs> we got this 
which originally was blushing. And uh, I also allowed people to use their imaginations uh, as to what was uh, cut off. Um, also, it had like honk bonk blues down below. So, you know. Anyways, uh, oh yes, and speaking of which, uh, another thing that had honka balonka blues, but but got uh fucking thrown away because you know this is uh eating a candy bar that is really a Snickers, but yeah, the Snickers I think you can go, you can you can understand, you can understand what I mean by it. Eating a uh, Snickers bar with a seductive face. I also had a hunkabalunkabaloot. This is what happened during the episode during when, you know, we were on an intermission break and we were talking about PlayStation news. This is what Alpaca was doing. This is pure evidence that Fluff Alpaca actually did have sex with Felix from RE0. Like I said, age restricted. <laughs> Fun times. But I'll put away this laptop now. This fucking guy spent time on that. This guy spent time on that. I mean, I, I spent time on these, but I didn't make it apparently obvious. Mostly. I mean, hey, at least, at least, uh, oh shit, uh, wrong thing. Hey, I mean, hey, you want play, you want rubber ducks? Okay, we'll bring a rubber duck in. Fuck, uh, no, no, we don't need that. <laughs> at least, um, at least it wasn't uh something like uh the uh stock to my Mauser carbine, where if you look very very closely. You can slight, you can just very ever so slightly see me, Toby Fox. We team up and we create Tobias Fox. And then, uh, you know, if this was an actual fucking, uh, you know, gun. I don't know. I don't know how to say it other than history be damned. I don't know. I mean, then again, this thing is I, it's UFO right now, so believe that. that. I, I, I need to send that to Brandon Herrera for <laughs> cursed gun images. <laughs> He's going to shit bricks. <laughs> Good times. So it'll, it'll be worse when it'll be worse than the teeth gun, I think. <laughs> Right. Anyways, uh, so Fluff Alpaca, anything really new with you, per se, besides, you know? Um, not really. Still streaming. Just, uh, doing all that. A few behind-the-scenes stuff that's a bit too personal for the show, or for anything. Nothing that, uh, you know, is concerning, but just sucks um but besides that uh 
else is new with me? Uh, I don't know. I bought like a survival camping kit with like a hatchet and like two knives. One is like a machete and one is like a, it looks like a throwing knife. <laughs> um, and the other one is like, the, the axe has like, a, for some reason it has like a hex key in it or like a, it's like a, a female hex key. Like a, it, uh, it's for bolts. I mean, not hexes, uh, it's for hex bolts then. Huh. Never mind. Uh, so that, um, that bring up my newfound love for, for churros. <laughs> okay. So, um, we have a discount store down here, um, where I live and, uh, it's, uh, so it's, it's basically like, think of it as it buys clearance merchandise they buy clearance merchandise and then eventually put it up for sale and such and it's not outdated per se but you know how like when you go to like walmart they have a clearance section that's full of like old halloween things or old easter stuff or christmas or i don't know fourth of july they discount the fireworks if that's legal in your state um really depressing to say that but anyways um well i discovered uh pop tarts that have uh that are chocolate churros flavored and i i love it you know for the longest time i've never tried churros and i was like sounds interesting i guess and now i want to try a real churros like i really want to try a real stick of it like uh, I don't know, and it, it and uh, the reason why it's churros flavored is because um, it's for uh, the Day of the Dead or Dia de Muertos or something like that. How you pronounce it? Dia uh, de. What's up? I think it's Dia de. Something. The first word's Dia. Yeah. Day. Day of the Day of the Dead. Um, and it's like a. It's like a Spanish tradition sort of holiday where it's 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 very much remembrance and in some cases it can be almost celebration like it depends on the you know area some people just you know give offerings some people just um you know hang out with friends and remember the people and some people flat out like it like uh actually it's kind of a little bit of a celebration almost like you know it, these people have passed away and uh instead of mourning them we celebrate for the with the time we have left i think that's quite beautiful if that is the case um you know instead of being mourning and somber about it like enjoy the day that you you know, the days you have on the start sort of stuff, you know, I do like that. I find it pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, I bought like six boxes of them. I hear you. Um, yeah, uh, I went to the gym and certainly I haven't I haven't started like since then. 
but I'm not like gonna quit. I just it's it, there's been off days and stuff, like busy days and such. Um, and I've also felt quite tired as well. So that also factors into it. Yeah, I, um, can, I can understand that too. Yeah, we all have those days where we have to be very tired for stuff. It's yeah, not a fun feeling. No. Um. Uh, I mean, other than that, I mean, I don't know. I've just been here and there. Um, right. I mean, as for myself, I mean, not too much is new. You know, wrapping up college finals, so I'll be able to have some more time to, you know, actually commit to some more content and get some of the ideas I've had in my head out there. Okay. Among getting my epic done. And uh, the Walmart that's nearby me, where I work, is actually closing down, so I got a lot of stupid stuff. And by stupid <laughs> stuff, I mean getting a laptop I didn't think I would actually need. But I have it, and it has Windows 11, so I can actually do the review. I have a way of being able to do it now, and that's very exciting. Um... I also have a vinyl player that's in the living room. I got like a bunch of random games. I got things like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2. I got, let's see, Borderlands 3, Assassin's Creed 3 Remastered. I got Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. I got Shimigami Tensei 5, which is right here, actually. And I should probably put, move it a little closer here. There we go. And... I got Ring Fit Adventure. Got a bunch of stupid games. I even got this coaster. As he shows Battlefield 2042. Because <laughs> it is a coaster. It literally is a fucking coaster. Like, I, it's sad that we have to say that, but. I think that they're literally, they're literally giving it up on it and just developing. Oh, there goes their so cool bottle. <laughs> uh, I, I still really want to grab one of those, but it's like, it's just like, can I justify it? I don't know. But anyway, but, I can now actually toss that the frisbee. <laughs> I fucking heard that audibly. It went like. <laughs> Made an audible thump. I, I, I don't know if it, it ca got captured in the video. I think based off the trajectory of my arm, I don't think it did, which is kind of sad. But <laughs> no, from the from what I saw, it hit the fucking wall and bounced off and landed on your bed. <laughs> I mean, it's a worthless piece of shit game, but god damn, why oh, you have to be mad? It's on the game. <laughs> Jeez. I, mean, I think it's it, 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 it's gonna survive, but if it broke, I would be surprised. <laughs> At the end of this, before you hit stop recording, let's just un unwrap it and just see if the disc shattered at all. <laughs> if you want to do that, that is up to you. But <laughs> fuck's sake. Oh. <sighs> <sighs> But anyways, we have a lot of news here today. I mean, we had to catch up on two weeks of news because the original recording for this episode 
pretty much got overran by pop. By a constant popping noise, which we tried to alleviate within some of the last episodes. By trying to make it seem like Slenderman was invading the episode. Yes. And now I managed to move my audio interface down here to another USB port, actually USB Type-C port. And now we can officially say, based off what I've seen, that Slenderman is dead. We finally killed him. He's dead. <laughs> I made shoot noise. He also went off screen, so I don't know what to do now. Um, he, he died off screen. It's an off screen death. He could come back in a sequel, but not really. No. He's dead. EKIA. <laughs> I mean, hey, I mean, what's what else is worse? I mean, we could also just go back and summon the R34 of, you know, Fluff Alpaca making love. Fuck you and your laptop. <laughs> With this rubber duck that's in its UFO. That's it. <laughs> Pulling out the KP9. <laughs> I found this in an actual gun site. I don't know how the fuck this works, but it's like a conversion. I mean, what I I mean, I could just summon, you know, the baby rubber duck. I can also bring up the, you know, various, you know. Yeah, the very various uh, things, you know, like Katsuni Miku. Yes, that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Anyways. But yeah, so we got various showcase announcements. We've got Halo Infinite news. Plenty of stuff regarding Activision Blizzard. We, and we also got some news regarding, you know, Embracer buying Square Enix. And the fact that, you know, Elon Musk just somehow bought Twitter. Yeah, you know, is in the process of buying Twitter. And... And it provides and a lawsuit against California net neutrality law. We also have Epic Games asking court to stop Google's removal ban camp. And we have like pro consumer things like Apple self service repair program. That's good for the player, dude. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. And I know that uh, the, the topic that Alpaca here will talk about the most is how I don't. <laughs> how Microsoft open sourced. The 3D Movie Maker. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk all about that when it comes up. Because, oh my god. <laughs> uh, so, nobody's nobody probably knows this, but I know a certain someone who made a certain something in that and created one of the best movies ever featuring Mario Garfield <laughs> um uh one second let me look at the thumbnail I forgot uh it, it features uh Mario Kart and a certain item that is pathetic if you get it apparently I wonder what happens if you go in first place and you get it. It'd be like the douchiest thing ever. You know, honestly, because the thing is that Mario Kart changes the odds of the item depending on what position you're in. So you essentially have to do is literally drop, take, be in like dead last place, 
get the blue shell, and then somehow managed to drive all the way up to first place. Mm. And then throw it and see what happens. Okay. But anyways, with that being said, let's get started with the news, and let's get started with some showcase announcements for video games. Oh, yes. Um, and we can start off here by mentioning that, you know, on June 12th, Xbox and Bethesda are going to host their game showcase. And supposedly, this show is going to run about 90 minutes long. And will be aired on, yes, on day June 12th at 10 a.m. Pacific. Which also translates to 1 p.m. Eastern. Now, there's a lot of things we can talk about here. In regards to, you know, what we'd hope to see. And I think we both know the main game they're advertising. Based off, you know, the logo here. But more on that in a few seconds, because we're going to save all that after we discuss the other game announcement, the game show announcement, which is the fact that Jeff Keighley is going to do his Summer Game Fest showcase on June 9th, and he's actually partnering up with IMAX Live so that you can actually watch us in theaters. Hmm. Oh, and it's also going to apply to the Game Awards, too. So if you have an IMAX theater nearby, you could technically watch the Game Awards or the Summer Game Fest live in theater with popcorn. Hopefully nobody's on their phone uh, and listening to, like, junk music. Right. Actually, the funny thing. Not to bring this old thing off topic. I remember when Sonic, I saw Sonic 1, you know, the movie before the pandemic started. And I was the only person in the theater. It was great because I could use my phone. I could eat a bunch of popcorn. It was great. I never got the same experience with Sonic 2. Because everyone was starting to get back into the groove of life. But, but that's beside the point. Let's talk about the two game showcases here. And what do you think, at least more so for... The, the Microsoft showcase, because we know what game is going to be there. Oh, Based yes. The logo. Like, I'll show it one more time, but you can see stars, a glimmering light. It's going to be Starfield. Oh, yes. Starfield is going to be in this show 100%. And I am eager to see what this game plays like. I have Game Pass Ultimate. I would be looking forward to play this game day one. <laughs> I want to, certainly, you know, pilot some spaceships and go to these different planets and see what this world Bethesda's been trying to build up is going to look like. Oh, yeah. Hopefully, this game that Bethesda's making is going to alleviate some of the fears that they have that fanbase has from certain games like. Yeah, fears of uh, massively multiplayer online failures. <laughs> Sorry. Exactly. 
But though I do hear that some people are a little bit Luke on lukewarm on Fallout 70, not Fallout 76, wow, uh, Fallout 4. Some people don't really like that game too much. Yeah, 4 changed a lot of mechanics that made, like, the older ones. Like, even the shift from 2 to 3 in New Vegas wasn't as stark. Uh, but in a, in a sense, like, uh, I mean, they kept the first person angle and stuff, but like, I think uh, it was like a lot of it was similar, but I feel like uh, Fallout 4 tried to like do the thing where like this game, is, you know, this game has this sort of stuff. Let's put it in our game now. Let's do this trend where there's like um, always a, uh, I don't know, there's always a. Uh, melee button i guess or something like that or there's always a sprint button i appreciate a lot of those quality of life differences don't get me wrong and i think what they just need to do because rpgs value story heavily you can have the sleekest gameplay ever and i'm sure that they'll keep that sleek gameplay mm-hmm. but a remove the bugs because you know as much as we love todd howard and his stroke of genius it's not a feature Exactly. It's it it is not a feature to <laughs> it is not a feature when you hear you hear noises and you're you're running up a hill and then you notice that there are god rays shining through those hills and that I don't know, bloat fly is um, humping a tree because it phased through it and doesn't know how to get out of it. <laughs> um, and then somehow or, a duck that's, you know, sailing in the river of, you know, freaking Skyrim just somehow gets anti-craft all the way up to the sky. And then the skybox itself turns into one of the face textures. <laughs> And you shit bricks because you wonder what the fuck. You're looking in the atmosphere and you're like, Is that you, Todd? Oh, the skybox just gets. The checks are just changed to nothing but just Todd Howard's face. It's that one image of him. It's just him, like, looking like. I don't know. He just looks neutral, but I want to say smug for some reason. Yeah. Smug Howard. After all, in his world, that's a feature. Yeah, it's just a feature, guys. <laughs> and in, he, he, he was part of the chess club. <laughs> so it's obviously a feature to. He's like, checkmate. He's laughing now. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Make him out to be a creep. Yeah, we can Sorry. talk a lot about that. But we love them. <laughs> if you want, to I, go, I was yeah. I was gonna say I, I was that one dude at E3 2019 who said, "I'm oh, John Howard." No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that. Like, if you want more idealistic, I mean, let's just get to the more realistic stuff first. And there's obviously a lot of realistic things we could see here. Like, Microsoft has accrued a lot of IPs in studios. We both know this. Like, there's they have Fable that's developed by you know. You know, Playground Games. They have Perfect Dark in, in development by the initiative, which whom have been working with Crystal Dynamics, which 
More on that studio later in the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, they got that. They got... Um, I don't know. They, You know, what, one thing that um, has been a, a running gag is, like, during one of these presentations, you hear, like, dun-dun-dun-dun, and it's just banjo, like, I don't know, 3D or something. I don't fucking know. Well, they do banjo, <laughs> but the only issue is that it's not development. What, what Rare is actually working on right now is Everwild, which, who knows what in the world that is, because supposedly that actually got rebooted. Oh, so I'm not sure. So we're not going to see that for a while. Though I could potentially see maybe some Sea of Thieves updates, maybe, if they decided to push that game's content still. Also, I could see maybe some more Halo Infinite updates. That could be cool. Yeah, probably something that's actually, like, uh, not bad. Like, not, like, lackluster, I guess. Yeah, we will be talking more about Halo Infinite in the next segment, actually, because we do have some things we want to say about that. Yeah, I see. But, um, um, but, uh, besides Halo Infinite, uh, uh, Star, you know, Starfield, and, uh, uh, you, you want to move into dream territory. I, I would like to, actually, because we do know that, you know, we know that Obsidian is actually working on two major games right now. Outer Worlds 2, and Avowed. But what if, dude? Yes. We're gonna open the can of worms here. What if, at like the very end of the presentation, right? They leave everybody on a cliffhanger. You see the logos of Bethesda Game Studios and Obsidian. Because Microsoft owns both of them. And then... Remember... You're nobody until somebody loves you. And that somebody is Radio Static. Fallout New Vegas 2. Oh, Coming to theaters 2023. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, whatever they're going to title it. Follow New Vegas, the new frontier. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, it may not even take place in Las Vegas because if those of you remember, back in like one of the 20 episodes, we actually did have a full-on discussion of what we think this game should be. Mm -hmm. Could be. Which, I think that's a very interesting discussion to take a look into. But I w hope... One of the things I would like to see... I mean, I did mention this. This is a actually a possibility. But I would love to see Fable. I want to see Fable. That would get me to scream like a schoolgirl. Oh yeah, I could, I could, I could see that. Um, I'm a big Fable nerd. Like I played like the the all three of the main games. I played them all. Let's see. I mean, I haven't played Fable Journeys. I did play a little bit of the beta for the what was gonna. I think Fable Legends. I think the game is. I forgot the name. I did play the card game though. That that they did at yeah you know, with the studio that made, was made for former Lionhead employees. Mm -hmm. but yeah that's a whole thing that happened but I do think that Microsoft is set to have a good show and who knows what some of the other developers working on I mean also could they potentially show maybe something like Senua Saga 
Maybe. Cause that's the sequel to Hellblade. So I mean, I think I think it's plausible. Yeah, I think it's plausible. I mean, we did see it at the Game Awards, and that footage looks freaking incredible. Yeah, definitely. It looks much better than watching Fufo Paka make love with you know the Hatsune Miku duck. Much better. Fuck you. <laughs> Though honestly, you're better than that Rule Thirty Four image. So keep that in mind. Thanks, but then again, <laughs> anything is possible. It certainly is. <laughs> It certainly is. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to say about this before I move on to the next topic? Um. No, I think I'm all set with the Xbox Bethesda showcase thing. Um. It's gonna be June twelfth at one p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right? Yes. As this is a Sunday, you bet. I am going to watch that show. I am going to watch it. Certainly. So. Definitely stay tuned for that. Because we're going to be talking about all this, you know, what would have been E3 coverage over the course of, you know, the coming, you know, weeks. Oh, yeah, of course. Of course. But now we have to get into some Halo Infinite controversies. And before we get into that, I want to hear your thoughts on what you we think of, you know, Season 2. I mean... I haven't, unfortunately, have not had a chance to play it yet, but for what I've heard of the Season 2, it's a bit of a mess. Yeah, don't look at me either. I haven't played it, and I want to just try it out just to make sure that it's like, yeah, this is okay, this is plausible, I guess, you know? Um, but from what I've heard, a lot of, like, e like influencer, like, eSport-type people they hate it, or not hate it, but they're they spite it, and they think that it's not, uh, it's not good enough, as far as I know. Um, Absolutely. you know, I, it, yeah, you know, the roadmap itself was very lackluster, and I hate to say that, but that's just how it feels to me as well, because it's like, oh, here's like. What was there? Four maps, right? Or two maps? There was two maps! Yes! So there is one that looks a lot like that Halo 3 map that's in the like the sky. And then there's like um Break. that like breaker which has a giant laser, which that's fucking cool. But for six months, you're telling me that they're gonna release two maps. And I hope that there's a way that they could just be like yeah, that roadmap was, hmm, well, we're, we're going to surprise you, but actually we're um, overclocking our employees and making sure that they make a few more things before, you know, we get like a, a player count of like, uh, what was that game that had like one concurrent play? <laughs> Right. Give me one second. Let me look back. Was it, it was that like uh, sorry um, yeah, Babylon's Fall. It like they they better hope it doesn't turn into that because of the low player count or uh, the fact that people aren't really liking the new season, which would lead to that. 
Um, right. However, what Halo Infinite has that Babylon's Fall does is compelling gameplay, and that seems to be keeping it up. For the yeah, very much for the mean term, and that's what the thing that both of us like. The core gameplay is amazing. It feels like classic Halo. The only downside is the content release. Like we just need more maps. At this point, I don't care about modes anymore because I think a good chunk of the ones we have now are fine. Yeah. Especially the fact they've introduced some of these modes too is pretty sweet too. Just give us more modes, more weapons, and I'm good. And more places to use them on. Exactly. That I think I already said maps, but anyways, we'll go with that. Uh, sorry, sorry. No, I've heard modes, but yeah, I, I'm sorry. Sorry, I don't mean to correct you. It's like, it doesn't matter. Anyways, so let's get into, you know, this first part here. And right away, you we could see here that, you know, Halo Infinite is actually locking season, supposedly, it's actually locking season one challenge slot unless you buy the season two battle pass. And this was apparently spotted by a Reddit user and confirmed by GameSpot. The challenges available in the Season 1 Battle Pass are now different than they were before. Previously, four challenges from the weekly queue would be available at any one time. You could progress in these simultaneously and speed up your experience earnings. However, only three are now available, with the four telling players to upgrade to the Season 2 Battle Pass in order to unlock this extra challenge slot. Extra implies it is on top of what was there before, but this isn't the case. And, yeah, that's not a good look for this game. If you're going to keep, you know, slowing down the progress of the previous battle passes, just so you can have look into season two. Yeah, I, you know, <sighs> the thing is, is that they promised that the, like, I know this might be separate, but they promised that. You know that uh or they said at least that season battle passes would carry over and the progression does but this challenge slot i mean it's it's not disingenuous but i i kind of it's kind of like i i wish it wasn't as i don't know i understand it's probably yeah it's only available for the first season for the season that it's you know, it exists at, but it's like, I don't know. If you're saying that it carries over, like, when it comes to, like, everything else, it's like, I don't know. Yeah, I agree entirely with you. I mean, what we're seeing here is an instance of definitely greed. Like, don't get me wrong. I do plan buying the Season 2 Battle Pass. Just like so I lock the content so when the game becomes good again, or exciting for content, I'll be ready to go and have all the content ready to go and just channel in and just get as much as I can. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But this, to me, just screams greed. And But we can also move on to, you know, the other thing, and that Halo Infinite 343 addresses Season 2's bumpy launch and says fixes are on the way. And the, it mentions us the Season 2 update to Halo Infinite hasn't quite lived up to players' expectations, but members of the Halo team are reassuring players that fixes are on their way. 
Halo developer, 343 industry senior ma community manager, John Jonizek, and head of creative Joseph Staten took to Twitter to address players' concerns on Friday. Joseph Staten, that legendary man that came in during the tail end of the Halo Infinite development to try and make things great again. Anyways, besides that, hey Spartans, this week has been bumpy. That definitely wasn't our goal. We are indeed taking your feedback to heart, especially regarding map jumps and speedrunning. We're reviewing options and we'll have more news to come. I should probably show the article here. That'll probably help. But yeah, that's what this whole thing is. And a thread by Junizek dies further than some of the issues. According to Junizek, the last Spartan standing challenges in the interference event were fixed and should now be tracking more accurately and helping you earn rewards. Halo Infinite will also compensate players who log in during the event with 5 XP boosts and 5 challenge swaps. The, chief, the team has also responded to fans' concerned tweets, clarifying that a jamming issue regarding semi-automatic weapons is an unintentional glitch and will be patched in the near future. Yes, yes, yes. I, I heard about this and I, when I was talking about how, you, you know, bigger influence esport players, you know, um, they're they're angry at it and they're like this this shouldn't be a thing you know <sighs> something like that you know i wonder if the tactical rifle does that too or yeah. something like that because it's it's burst but maybe they don't understand what burst versus some automatic is but man whatever of course yeah so we have like it, that's what i mean like i do think like it doesn't address you know the main concerns that we both have which is maps Mm -hmm. give us maps give us weapons like don't get me wrong all this stuff is good and it's obviously very important but just give us maps yeah M imagine the skewer like but you couldn't actually use it because it's jammed and you're like fuck you know it, it literally screwed you over <laughs> yeah. I, I, I could only imagine that it feels terrible to think of it anyways but yeah i do think overall though i mean it's good to see hail if you know the 343 trying i mean i don't think they're trying hard enough like they need to make a statement saying hey you guys this is why we aren't getting the maps out at the rate you guys need like a formal, I guess you could say a formal slash semi-casual announcement that kind of details and show, tells fans, this is why we haven't been doing the things that you wanted. And apologize for it. Yeah. Something like that will go a long way to reassure that, hey, we're trying the best we can to, you know, do this. And I think, I think they did say something about this at one point. But either way, even if they did already, just mention it again. Yeah. Just kinda I mean just keep it in the forefront in people's minds so they know, okay, this is why this is happening. You know, where like maybe you should explain like they've been having tough time maintaining hires to be able to make the maps. That's always a possibility. Yeah, I understand like uh maybe like uh I don't know, maybe it has something to do with, like, shareholder-pleasing or something along those lines, maybe, because, like, oh, let, let's admit that we're, our turnover rate is, um, you know, terrible or something like that. Uh, 
Um, I mean, yeah, it could also be a PR disaster, too, because it's like, hey, oh, um, you guys aren't treating your employees right. You know, like a certain other company we're going to talk about pretty soon. Oh, yeah. No, no. What I mean by uh, turnover, like when employees fail to be hired or something, right? I believe it's something to do with how fast people leave a company. Oh, OK. Well, that's kind of what I mean is just people are. Yeah, like you said, like people aren't showing up and giving up in it. Um, but hey, you know what's amazing though? Do you remember Clippy? Yes, I did not mention this in any of the sources, but yeah, there's like a Clippy accessory that you could get in season two. Which, by God, this that's a, if that's enough of a reason to get season two, that's it right there. Let's get Clippy. Let's go. Yes. Without a doubt, it is part of a, it's a nameplate uh, unlock, and you can also get a weapon charm um, on like tier. What is this? Uh, I can't see. Can't see what the tier is, but it's way up there in the weapon charm stuff. You're probably blind <laughs> because you know you enjoyed all that you know intercourse that you've had with you know the rubber duck and Felix. That might have been the reason why you can't see. Stop giving me hope for my unfortunate reality. <laughs> Anyways, um, I yeah, let's get to that certain company that, you know, the two of us like to ra rant on because they keep making stupid decisions every single day. I mean, do you guys really just not have phones? Literally, because... Activated Blizzard announced on April 25th that they are making Diablo Immortal for PC. And that in this open beta on PC, there's going to have cross-play and cross-progression with mobile phones. And apparently, from what we can tell here, the reason why they're making this version of the game is that because in the end, the deciding factor was that we knew many of you would attempt to play this game through an emulator, thus letting us... Where it's building a better experience. No, you didn't. You got booed off stage until the until you freaking, you know, were like you caved in a few years later. Like No! That's not how it went. You were just like, well, that was embarrassing. Get to work, my uh my slaves, I guess. I don't know. Um you know what? What's the kicker? If if Godcast was around during that time, I would have ripped. Like I would have ripped a new one. Like oh, that would have been a funny discussion for the two of us to have. We would have been roasting their ass. We would have been laughing at each other all day, like we've been doing with you know the freaking Xbox segment we just did. Like, but even worse than that because. Don't tell me I like don't shame me for don't say do you guys not have phones what what no 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 we have pride in playing on our computer not on a phone I understand people do like playing on phones but no no and then to call it like an oh yes, you guys would run it through an emulator. You guys would run it through an emulator. So you know what we did? We put 
we put it on the PC, dude. No, you didn't! You put it on PC because you were so embarrassed! Like, anyways, get wrecked. Uh, also, too, we can see here that Warcraft Arclight Rumble has been announced. It's kind of like a vertical, you can see it here, kind of like a tower defense sort of game. And you can see there's like PvP battles and head to head. I would say tower defense, but you could kind of tell it's a top down game. Yeah, but we don't have phones to play it, so I don't know. I mean, I do, unfortunately, but I'm not going to use my phone for this for these games. Yeah, and my phone would. I just use my phone to like watch YouTube. And like call people. Yeah. So uh I have small it, games, but they're not microtransaction crazy games. Like they're, they're small little games. Oh uh, yeah, I remember you introduced me to uh territory IO or something like yeah, that. Which you can actually play on your computer as well. Oh, okay. Well that's nice. Um but yeah, I know you liked that and it was I I liked it too. I liked the concept of it. Um it's but, like uh, a Battle Royale map game, which I think is kind of cool. But besides the point, though, I mean, you could take a look at the gameplay trailer yourself and you could see, like, what sort of vibe this game is going for. Like, you could tell it is pure mobile garbage. The graphics look like your typical mobile game. It's It really does. It like really does, honestly. Well, like you can tell it's like tower defense elements mixed with RTS elements. But it just looks so generic. It really does. It it truly does. Like uh, the most least generic character I can see on this uh on this board is uh, on this entire page is if you look where it says leveling up progression. I don't know. There's like this like troll doll with a like gun on an airplane. That's a gnome. It looks like a troll doll. True. But anyways, besides the whole point of this, I mean, you can see what they're aiming for. And it just looks like a freaking. It just looks really generic. It's a shame, too, because I'd rather take Warcraft 4 over this. I mean, hey, at least they brought back the Cheetah Men from Action 52. Woo! <laughs> but like, I think they're act actually a legitimate creature that is an enemy, you know, in the games. That I know, but it looks like a hunchback Cheetah Man. True. Okay. You can even play it on Nintendo! Anyway, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Uh, no worries. Um, but yeah, that game is a whole thing. Uh, Let's see. Cause we're going through like the game stat, the game stuff first before we get to you know having phones. Sorry, well, Sorry, not only yeah. having phone, but the the ever continuing controversy with this company. Oh, so the things that you know we're going to get through the interesting shit first, and then after that we're going to get to the you know the stereotypical like Activision Blizzard sexual harassment stuff. But we do have to quick make a quick and quick look at the fact that 
Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is indeed coming out this year. This was teased on April 28, 2022, and you can see the logo literally just looks like Modern Warfare, but there's a 2 right where, you know, the end of the M and the W are. That's about it. No game. Not, not to be confused with Modern Warfare 2, 2009. Yeah, and or, then when Modern Warfare 3 comes out, that's also going to make things confusing. Not to be confused with. Yeah. You know. The, the only thing that's going to break the curse of this is what Modern Warfare 4 gets announced in this whole ordeal. If Modern Warfare 4 gets announced. That's going to be a what the hell situation. Because now you're going to actually that actually would be a bit confusing, too, because not only would you have Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare, then it's going to become Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4. Yeah, I just realized that. So you get the Modern Warfare, uh, you know, 4, then you get the original COD 4, which is not Modern Warfare 4. And then you get the remaster and then you got the uh, 2019 reboot or actually well it's not it's like a soft reboot because it has the same characters but also new characters but anyways um yeah uh i don't know just like call it like modern warfare uh i mean you already fucked up with 2019 but uh i don't know call it a ghost 2 or something and like have like uh, Logan from that game be a playable character and bring back Riley the German Shepherd enhanced dog models up the ace I mean true you could do that but at the same time I know I don't think Ghost was the most well received Call of Duty from that era I know but it's way better than the trash we have now so I don't know let's I mean, true. I mean, but speaking of trash and Call of Duty. Oh, yeah. Speaking of trash. Uh, so Activision says Call of Duty Vanguard didn't meet expectations because people don't like World War Two. So that's the headline. But after a little while, they also mention they also blame our own execution and a lack of innovation, which that headline is a bit clickbaity, but whatever. I get it. But. To make that a bullet point, because people don't like World War Two. Look, it's not the it's not the time, you know. It's just it is completely your own execution of it, and your lack of meaningful innovation. Right, like call like World War Two was the series was the time period that this Jagernava series started on like you think you could perfect world war ii via a different story that was not told yeah and you know sorry go ahead like you could potentially emphasize more on like world war ii or more the africa war or the battles in russia like i mean i know some of these games have covered this stuff but maybe it could go more in depth in the things that's not exclusively germany yeah um like I, you know, they do they do capture a lot of that European stuff because that's mostly where the war was. But I don't know, like 
fuck, just, I don't know, just, I don't know, remaster one of the PlayStation 2 games. I don't know. Remake Call of Duty 2 and I'll have a field day. If they remake Big Red 1 and the original Call of Duty 2, I would, I hope they make an alternate ending where Brooklyn doesn't die because I fucking love that guy. Right. Or, yeah, you could just totally reboot the series. I think what would be good for Call of Duty, honestly. Sp- make sure the studios just focus on whatever game they want. Make Infinity War, I because they're the original creators of the series. It's fair they should have the mantle. Yeah, but then Treyarch made like a really edgy sort of psychological World War II game. So, I think... If they just band together, that would be pretty nice. But then they also have their plate, like, you know, with the fucking zombie mode, which is a total failure. <sighs> I mean, the zombie oh, no. mode, the thing is, is I remember that being super cool when it first came out. And then all of a sudden, zombies just went complete off the rails. They added story plot points, which didn't need it for what essentially is a left for dead mode. Yeah, in a sense, but not really. Like, you know, when it comes to, like, uh, that zombies thing, they tried to make sense of all the stupid Easter eggs that they put in, like, and they saw that people were getting intrigued by it. And then eventually they were like, shit, shouldn't we just make, like, a story based around that? And then you get to, like, one, which is okay-ish, and then uh, you get to two, which is, like hell on earth but even then people didn't really like two that much when it came to the zombies mode except for origins and i think buried was pretty decent um oh and mob of the dead yeah can't fucking can't can't ever forget mob of the dead but three where it became like like kaidus and like uh eldritch gods and stuff like is like that's that's kind of took a turn for really really fucking weirdness uh and now they try to go back to basics but also not really with uh cold war um and also not really uh and then they made vanguard zombies which i hope they don't make canon to the actual story and they're just like yeah this is like the zombies mode in the original world war ii but you know whatever (laughs) I think what they should just do for Call of Duty, honestly, and hear me out. Obviously, Warzone is too successful. You can't deny it. Let uh-huh. Warzone continue as its own thing. And give back Verdansk. Yeah. Even though Verdansk had its own shit flaws, but Caldera just is like... Or better yet, just remove the Call of Duty label altogether for that game, because I feel it's way too different now. Well, you see, the thing is, is... The original Modern Warfare got consumed by Warzone, and literally on, like, Xbox and PlayStation, the main, like, icon for it said Warzone, and it had, like, uh, Ghost and uh, Price and, you know, then it was like, okay, this is Warzone. This is COD Warzone, but it's just Warzone. I would actually, now that you think about it, they could make a Call of Duty Warzone but, like, make it, like, COD Mobile. I don't know. Yeah. Because that's kind of what it already is, anyway. Yeah, COD Mobile. I think COD Mobile and COD just Warzone. I would just say for Warzone, just get rid of the Call of Duty moniker at this point. Yeah. You see it crossing over with Attack on Titan and Godzilla. 
Like, how wild is that? Yeah, let's make uh, Attack on Titan, you know, uh, um, even though Attack on Titan is like based around like that sort of time period. Let's make let's in introduce anime before it actually existed into a World War Two game. Yeah, I mean, in terms of modern anime, yeah, we we have a, we have a whole rant about how like, you know, Japanese animation was originally very close to Western style, but then as time went on. You know, America introduced comic books to Japan, and then you get to modern anime. Awesome pie. Sorry. Which would gradually, you know, then anime would gradually become what it is today, because you notice how like 80s anime versus 90s anime versus modern anime is all very different in terms of art style. What, 9,000? Sorry, please. <laughs> I don't know. It's the only experience I have with anime. But back to what I was trying to say. Call of Duty should just essentially reboot itself from the ground up. Period. Get rid of every single franchise. No more, I would say, Treyarch should just do its own thing. Sledgehammer should just continue to do its own thing. Let Infinity Ward just, just reclaim itself as the founder of Call of Duty and just let them make a brand new entry. That uh, resets everything. Essentially, a, yeah. a full-on reboot. A reimagining. Like, you know, it's, it's always funny. I don't know if it's, anyone notices, but do you notice how every single time like a Call of Duty engine gets comes out, it's usually the Infinity War game that show it off? Actually, that's a good point, except for uh, Advanced Warfare. Um, yeah. Um... Yeah, they, they really just... I mean, then again, though, like... Um, no, I get what you're saying now. They really... Yeah, they really do... seem to be the iteration of it, you know, sort of thing. Because, like, Modern Warfare was nice. Like, you could tell it had its aesthetic. And then... Cold War came in, which Cold War was a uh, an adoption, basically. Like Cold War was a Sledgehammer Games project, and then Treyarch had to pick up the torch um, and adopt it into their own sort of franchise, or and like add it to the you know to the thing, and then they pretty much just took modern warfare 2019 with sledgehammer and just said well, let's make another world war ii game that you know the tail end of world war ii was pretty nice you know so let's just rehash it but give it a fresh coat of paint from modern warfare and uh make broken animations and have uh you know the sig m16 or m m17 be reused you know a, a modern pistol that's actually still not even in the hands of most troops Let's reuse that and not change it to a 1911. That's fine. Anyways, I'm being narcissistic about it. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. So what essentially what this would be is that what this should be is that it should just be an Infinity War just holding up a Call of Duty for three years and then make and then publish a new one. It shouldn't be an every year thing. It should be an every three to four year project. Yeah, you know what I saw actually was, um, I think like 
300 people worked on the original COD 4. And now Activision is saying, well, Vanguard, like, had like over 2,000, 200,000 or so people, you know, working on it. And yet Vanguard is a fucking dumpster fire. And COD 4 was like the best ever. Yeah, like the early Call of Duties, once you got to like the end of the Modern Warfares. Yeah. Like Modern Warfare 3, is that the cutoff point? Yeah, well, actually, I think like what it what it what it is is like Black Ops was the cutoff point, and then three people started to get really angsty, and then two was like Black Ops two was like. Speaking of which, uh, they tried to merge the timelines from the modern the new Modern Warfare games and uh, the original Black Ops timeline. They they're trying to merge it now, but the thing is, is Black Ops two takes place in 2025 and modern warfare 2019 takes place in 2019 and yet the technology from both of those games is vastly different black ops 2 is an overestimation of the advancements while black ops or while modern warfare is like modern day sort of stuff that you'd see every now and then um hilarious anyways um but uh what i was saying was i think black ops 2 people found it was pretty cool and all that and then ghosts was like bleh and then advanced movement was like no and then i mean i, I don't know the advanced movement and super cool movement but that I, I think at that point let someone like treyarch or sledgehammer make a new ip for that sort of thing yeah let them make a new ip just don't call it titanfall because that's already with ea and sledge EA and you know and respawn. Yeah, call it like call fall. I don't. Sorry. Or you could re- revive one of the names of like the like Advanced Warfare. Yeah. Just remove Call of Duty on it and make that just a new IP. Done. Hmm. Or Infinite Warfare, and just make that a new IP. Done. So let whatever company did the best at the advanced movement, let them have it. Let that let the let that studio deal with that. Yeah. Cause we're cause we're making a situation which Infinity War does the mainline Call of Duty games every like three or so three to five years. Yeah. And then because live service games obviously are successful, you just want to keep maintaining content. New guns, new maps, etc. Are like Halo Infinite, which doesn't really have a clear timeline. Yeah. But enough about rambling about Call of Duty and what we think should change with it. We need to move on to this the remainder of the Activision Blizzard segment here, because we have a lot to say on this. At least not much, but we can at least try. I guess I have something to say about it. I just... Uh, fuck. I'll try to make this as quick as possible, wrap it up in a package, and then we'll move on to the next topic, which I think is more interesting. I hope so. All right, so... Okay. I'm going to make this rapid fire. Do you yep, need... I know. 
Union working to organize activist political workers, the Communication Workers of America, filed a complaint today with the National Labor Relations Board, accusing the video game company of forbidding workers from discussing ongoing sexual and workplace harassment lawsuits. Apparently, this is the first time, and yeah. And also, we have to keep in mind that Activision Blizzard stockholders approved the proposed Microsoft transaction. This happened in April 28th, and as you can see here, Activision Blizzard Inc. announced that stockholders approved Microsoft Corporation's proposal to acquire future... to acquire Activision Blizzard at the Activision Blizzard special meeting of stockholders held earlier that day. More than 98% of the shares voted at the special meeting were voted in favor of the proposed transaction with Microsoft. Also, as you can see here, from our, from our, you know, Alpaca's least favorite person on the planet, today's overwhelmingly supportive role by our stockholders confirms our shared belief that combined with Microsoft will be an even better position to create Great value for our players, even greater opportunities for our employers, and to continue our focus on becoming an inspired example of welcoming, respectful, and inclusive workplace. Yeah, without you, Mr. Connick. I hope he gets sued. I would hope so, too, but if he's going to have that massive amount of money from a golden parachute, then he yeah. pay it off and just say, screw it. I'm going to be honest. He's He's just... He's got it in the bag. It doesn't matter what we say, do, or anything. He has enough money to not fucking care. Mm -hmm. Also, too, I mean, coming to this week now, we have New York City is actually suing Activision, targeting CEO Bobby Kotick. And this is from Axios. And this is from Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick rushed to secure a takeover bid for Microsoft to escape liability for misconduct at the company, which is a new lawsuit from New York City official alleges. And the suit was filed in Delaware on April 26th by New York City Employees Retirement System and pension funds for the city's teachers, police, and firefighters. The group's own Activision stock and believe actions by gaming giants management hurt the company's value. And... You can see a lot of things here, and what they're saying is that given Kotick's personal responsibility and liability for Activision's broken workplace, it should have been clear to the board that he was unfit to negotiate a sale for the company, said, but it wasn't. And, yeah, so there's been a lot of investigations, a lot of them, and we've been mentioning as many of them as we can, because it's absolutely freaking ridiculous. And the last thing we just have to mention real quick is the fact that Blizzard hired Jessica Martinez as their first vice president head of culture. And she has had, apparently, experience working with Disney. Yes, it's here. Jessica joins Blizzard after more than 14 years leading strategy, communications, operations, and employee ex experience at the Walt Disney Company, where she served as chief of staff and key strategic advisor for both the Chief Security Officer and Chief Technology and Digital Officer for Disney Parks and Resorts. Beyond spearheading fundamental organizational change, including leading the security integration for the 21st Century Fox acquisition. So I... Hmm. The fact that she worked with acquisitions. Uh, Microsoft. Hmm. Someone that, that Microsoft could actually keep on board. Hmm. 
I'm, I don't know. But yeah, Man. that's everything. That's for all the articles for that whole subject. I try to make it quick. Any other? I thoughts? appreciate it. Any other, um, yeah, anything? Any quick thoughts about this before I move on to our next topic for the day? All right. So, um, from the top, I guess this N Gadget article. Um, it doesn't surprise me that hey, you know, if. I honestly, I feel like there's a point in which if you have enough money, you have enough power to, you know, if you have enough power, I guess, it really doesn't matter what you do. You know, you can just pay off, you know. Right. Um, when it comes to this, uh, it's, a bit, it, it's as simple as censorship. I say shit because... We're allowed to fucking say what we need to when it comes to shit like this. Um, when it comes to this business water article. Good, I guess. And fuck you, you fucking battle toad looking ass. Uh, anyways, uh, uh um, the. Axios, I don't know, but I hope New York wins. Uh, and uh, this from actually news.blizzard.com. Uh, good luck. I really wish you the very best. But once you get a once. Activision Blizzard gets acquired, then uh, all I can say is you you freed everybody from from uh, yesterday's news happening today. Right, but let's now move on to the more exciting topic. I think we can get away from all that grim stuff. I would say into sure. more. I guess you could say exciting and noteworthy news. Sure, then. And that is the fact that we get to move on to Embracer Group, acquiring what essentially is most of Square Enix's Western Studios. And we can see here right from the Square, you know, press release that they had, is that Square Enix Holdings today signed a shared transfer agreement with Sweden-based Embracer Group, AB, concerning the divestiture of selected overseas studios and IP. The company's primary assets being divested in the transaction are group subsidiaries such as Crystal Dynamics, Eidos Interactive Corp., and IP such as Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane. At the company board directors meeting held on April 27th, the board resolved to entrust representative director Yasuke Matsuda with the right of final decision. All conditions have been been met. The shareholder transfer agreement was concluded that day. And then if you look at the purpose of the transaction, this is where the the money, everything comes into a domino effect. Ladies and gentlemen, might I present to you the purpose of the transaction I'm not going to hold it any longer. Let's get through it. 
in the transaction will assist the company in adapting to the changes underway in the global business environment by establishing a more efficient allocation of resources, which will enhance corporate value by accelerating growth in the company's core business in the digital entertainment domain. In addition, the transaction enabled the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields including Alpaca's favorite things, blockchain, AI, and the cloud. And the move is based on the policy of business structure authorization that company set forth under the medium-term business strategy unveiled May 13, 2021. I find it ironic that it's called the cloud and... Uh... Is that saying you got your head in the clouds? Literally. Like, we're going to talk about a certain crash that happened later in the in the show. Yeah. But it, but the fact they made this right when that happens. Yeah. I mean, high hopes for, I don't know, a shot in the dark. Yeah. However, despite that, the company's overseas studios will continue to publish franchises just cause outrage and life is strange. But yeah, you can scroll down here and take a look at all this stuff. We're not going to go through all the financial stuff, among others. But yeah, key mind among others, because I believe this is also including, get ready for this, Gex. I mean, I don't know. It's just a minor thing. Gex is a niche franchise. I, I have never played it. But you could see some franchise like that make a comeback. Yeah. Which apparently at one point in time was actually the mascot of Crystal Dynamics. Oh, okay. For the longest time, I didn't know that. Okay. There was a time when she was. But then Laura Croft came. And I guess ever since they made some Tomb Raider games... That became the stable character. I mean, would you rather have, uh, you know, uh, a, uh, I don't know, a lizard or, a, well, a gecko or a, uh, some lady <laughs> who's like, uh, like Indiana Jones? Yeah, so let's take a look at what. I mean, obviously, for $300 billion, this is an absolute bargain for Embracer. $300 million? That's $100 million a piece, which... I don't know. And you get all the, I, the catalog, which we're going to look at, you know, Embracer side of the whole thing. They're going to get not only Tomb Raider, not just Deus Ex, not just Thief, Legacy of Kane, but also 50 other back catalog games from Square Enix, which will likely include Gex, like I mentioned. Yep. And uh, if, you right, here, if you scroll down here, we can actually see the reason as to why Embracer wanted to buy this. And pretty much they're saying that they, the studios possess a unique ability to deliver blockbuster hits decade after decade. The acquisition brings a compelling pipeline of new installments from beloved franchise and original IPs. Well, obviously, include the new Tomb Raider game. The, the acquisition builds on Embracer's mission of creating a leading independent global gaming and entertainment ecosystem. 
and Bridge has been particularly impressed by the studio's rich portfolio of original IP, housing brands with proven global potential such as Tomb Raider and Deus Ex, as well as de demonstrating the ability to create AAA games with large and growing fan bases. And yeah, and they just explain this the days of the thing. But however, one thing that's interesting, minor thing that's interesting to know is that after closing the transaction, the United States will be Embracer's number one country by number of game developers and KOB number two. And it, and these guys are found in Sweden. Okay. Uh, like I said, minor thing. <laughs> also, but despite the fact that this could be used for crypto... We do have to admit there could be another potential reason for this. And that according to this article here, from Metro Entertainment, we can see here that Square Enix lost $200 million on Marvel games. So I see. Yeah. And, you know, um, for the longest time, I thought, yeah, they were kind of just giving their things away. But after Hydro here, just, you know, uh showed um showed this to me i was like oh okay that makes more sense i guess let's just sell them off and then make a hey you, you remember that crypto thing yeah let's uh let's use that as the excuse not because we you know lost money yeah which nobody wants to hear i guess but i think also that is part of their strategy too unfortunately for the two of us yeah it's a combination of shaving off expenses, making themselves a leaner company. And then on top of that, too, they've been ha we've been seeing this, too. Like, throughout the article we've been talking about throughout the show, they've been wanting to explore crypto. Mm hmm And now they'll have $300 million more million to be able to spend on that. Okay. All right, by me. But any other thoughts about... You know, Square Enix and Embracer and this acquisition because this is this was a relatively shocking announcement. Like I, who would have thought that you know, Tomb Raider would be sold for such a rather low amount? Yeah, I get that. No, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how to feel about it. It's great and all that. Uh, you know, it's great and all that, uh, they, you know, Embracer Group has another acquisition on their hands and stuff. And it's great that they are now in control of all these franchises because I can only assume that they're pretty passionate when it comes to, you know, video games and stuff. I don't hear much drama when it comes to them. So, I mean, um, as we've seen before, they owe a lot of stuff. They owe Gearbox. They own THQ Nordic. They owe Cock Media, which also owns Deep Silver and Saints Row. They own Coffee State and, and Goat Simulator. They own Aspire, that's doing the Knights of the Old Republic remake. They own Dark Horse Comics, which owns a Hellboy IP. They own a lot of crazy things. Yeah, I see. Well, I don't know. Good luck, Square Enix. That would be, like, you know, don't, you know, cause global warming because you wanted to pursue crypto. Um, but now we have a couple other acquisitions we'd like to talk about here. 
several, in fact. Oh, yes, this next one is quite interesting. And uh, previously, I, th I thought it, I didn't really understand why an investment group would. But what comes to mind now is it's, it's much more eyeballing, you know, like, wow, what, you know, all great. Anything but. <laughs> Anything but money. Anything but money. Anything. I love my money. My massive, our, our, you know. <laughs> that. You missed. <laughs> I think all three of my shots missed hitting the camera. I think one, like the the second one, hit, and then, uh, uh, then I just, I don't know, I it it's 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 difficult to tell considering I didn't want to recollect it. It's like a lost, a long lost, uh, traumatic m memory, you know. <laughs> right. Like like uh you know, like this. This works too, right? Anyways, just throw this away. <laughs> yes. So we have our first article here. Uh, this is from Kotaku, and they mentioned a report that a private equity firm is eyeing Ubisoft at the next big gaming acquisition at 423. Now, I believe this was before Embracer announced they were going to buy Square Enix Studios, so no. <laughs> I don't think this is necessarily the case. But this is all just report and speculation. But this is so still, far. But this is still huge, though. I mean, Ubisoft being acquired would still be huge regardless. So we kind of have to talk about it. I mean, after yeah. All, but they're saying that talks are early. But some of these private equity firms that are interested are Blackstone Inc. and KKR and Co. And yeah, and what we could see here that these are actually the two biggest private equity firms in the world. And supposedly have been studying the French business and have preliminary takeover interest. And according to Kotaku sources, Ubisoft has been working close with several outside consultancy firms in recent years to audit various parts of its business. While companies will do this to become more profitable and prepare for the future, sources Kotaku spoke with suggest it's a sign Ubisoft's trying to tidy up its books for a potential sale. Wee oui, wee oui, baguette. Sorry. Um. <laughs> Uh, amazing. I, you know, I, I get that, but no, like, please don't sell your franchises. I mean, you're already going into the NFT business, but could you be any more greedy? Yeah, like, obviously, you know, if it's a private equity firm. I mean, good. On the one hand, the game would still be available on any platform. You could pick and still pick and choose the games that you want to, you know, buy. Or I would rather say, pick the system you want to play on, which is great news. That is very good for the player. Yeah, but I'm terrified what this means for like microtransactions and stuff and their yeah. courts bullshit. You know, because. If you're thinking about a private equity firm, they're most going to be in this for one thing. Money. As every business is, but... I mean... 
that rubber duck. Anyways. Uh, what? Did you throw another fucking one at, a, at, at the camera? Um, it was actually one that was on the counter. Uh, but anyways. That's a whole thing. I mean, this kind of sucks. That this could potentially be happening. I mean, obviously the consolidation in the industry as a whole that we've been seeing throughout the year and last year even is rather jarring to see like, whoa, I didn't think this company would be bought up or whoa. I mean, Microsoft case, I kind of made sense because they were trying to build up studios, but that is that kind of made sense. But then you get to Activision Blizzard and you're like, okay. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. Having all these games on one platform would be cool. I mean, but Microsoft is just buying Activision Blizzard and just making everything, you know, not exclusive. Yeah. Like, um, that case is like, what's the point? Yeah, at that point, I, um, um, I, I understand that. But when it, when it comes to a private equity firm, the only thing I think of now is like, what like ugh, the only thing i can think of is it's literally like a 60 dollar game with microtransaction it's gonna be 2015 all over again you know with their you know 2014 to however or even 2013 it's gonna be like a headache again right but in fact we have to keep in mind too that uh, this report somehow gate there's been a report that gained you know that the the stock that ubisoft stocks actually increased following this unfortunately my browser is you know blocking this off from me being able to read this but oh, yeah, i see it now word that you know it's gonna let you you know the access to raise ubisoft stock price which indicates that investors are Feel confident that or are proving that this should happen. Another thing that might be interesting too is Warner Bros. Interactive Game Studios could soon be for sale. And Xbox and PlayStation are reportedly interested. But I don't think Microsoft could pull it off right now because Activision Blizzard and trying to get through the legal loopholes of being able to buy them. Get over here. <laughs> I, yeah, uh, I, I just realized um, it's going to be not good, considering like everyone was like, oh, well, Activision, blah, 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 I guess. I don't know. Um, one thing I'm a ter Activision case, it's like, I don't care who buys Activision Blizzard, just get rid of Bobby Kotick and you're good. You're the yeah. martyrs of, of our case. Mm-hmm. But this is a different case here. Like, early April, the merger between Disney and Warner Media officially closed, becoming Warner Bros. Discovery. Warner Bros. Interactive Game Studios have largely been left alone through the merger period, always selling Playdemic to EA in June of 2021. Now the merger is finalized, and Warner Bros. Discovery's structuring plans for Warner Bros. Interactive Studios appear to have changed. A report claimed that Warner Bros. Discovery is already shopping its studios to interested parties, which include PlayStation and Xbox. The report comes from Fanbyte Media's Emran Khan, who says that he's hearing a decent bit of chatter regarding Warner Bros. 
Discovery's new plant. Kong explains that Warner Bros. Discovery is shopping its game studio around. The list of tools that Warner Bros. Interactive has includes Avalanche Software, Model of Productions, NetherRealm for Mortal Kombat, Rocksteady Studios, and TT Games. And yeah, they also mentioned that Khan draws attention to is that WWE Discovery is specifically considering selling its game studios and not its intellectual property. That makes a studio acquisition not that worthwhile. You're just buying the talent, but not the IP. Like when, like if you're gonna buy NetherRealm, you want to have Mortal Kombat locked down. Of course. I think the thing why they want to keep the IP because they know they can make movies off of it. Yeah. Um. It's like uh, I don't know. It feels like uh being ripped away from your, your like uh you know your uh own project in a sense. You know, I feel. Yeah, and one of the IP that you know. Warner Bros. has is the fear. Is fears actually an IP that they have? And okay. I believe that series is video game first. Which would make sense, yeah. It would be video game first, so you have a ton of video game first IP that would never see the light of day. Potentially. Mm -hmm. And with you know, Warburg Discovery owning a lot of Midway IP. Like Joust. All those IP would stop be stuck with Warburg Discovery. <laughs> and that would stink. And on top of it, too, if you're going to acquire something like Warburg Discovery Studios, then it's like, what in the world are you going to make with what sort of, I mean, like NetherRealm was primarily built around Mortal Kombat, and I think including a naming as well. So what would you have to rename NetherRealm to to make it seem like it's fitting for the IP they want to work on? Like, I don't Combat even... Combat Studios, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but... Moral Dojo. Mm. <laughs> Sorry. But suddenly enough, not only are Sony and Microsoft interested in this, but Electronic Arts, NetEase, Take-Two, Tencent, and even PUBG Corp of all people. No, so... Uh. PUBG Corp, the people that, you know, do, you know, PUBG Battlegrounds. Alright, that's the new name. Don't ask me why. I just re I just heard you say that and I was like, hold on a second. No, but that just means player knowns battlegrounds battlegrounds. I so my head. I know. Anyways, <laughs> um, anyways uh, the fact that all these studios are interested in this. I mean, let alone you have Electronic Arts, who has a wealth of money. And, oh God, I. I would fear if it got acquired by Electronic Arts or Take-Two. 
Think about what they would do with Mortal Kombat and how many freaking microtransactions they would add on top of that. I would say Take Two would be worse at this point. Yeah, I, I, they already kind of have all these like, you know, um, they already have microtransactions and DLC characters in Mortal Kombat, but. <sighs> I don't know. Just uh, I don't know how to say. Uh, it's like um, you you could uh, like I, one thing I noticed is like with with X or with Ten, I, I found out that there were like easy fatalities that you had to like get coins for or something. That scared me. <laughs> so yeah, and like Take Two, which we've seen with the fact they literally put slot machines. In their sports games. Wait, they did. How the fuck does that have to do with anything with sports? <sighs> they they literally add casino mechanics inside of the sports game. GTA Online, not only do you have this new GTA Plus service, but that also is a microtransaction slog. Mm-hmm. Like, that's insane. Like, they would go overboard. And I would not want to see you know, Mortal Kombat get their easy fatality mechanic and currency reintroduced and then more on top of the typical fighting game structure of season passes and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh. However, there's also some acquisitions that are also being looked at. Like, for instance... How FTC is actually probing Sony's Bungie acquisition as gaming merger oversight gets more aggressive. Uh. And that according with the sources speaking with the information, last week the FTC began seeking more information about the deal in an investigation that could potentially delay its closing by six months or even more. Though a close date was announced alongside the initial announcement, the information reports it can be pushed into early 2023. And the FTC support, accordingly, is reportedly focused on concerns that Sony might be motivated to prevent competing companies and services such as Xbox from acquiring, from accessing Bungie's games such as Destiny 2. That means examining how popular Destiny is and whether a possible restriction would meaningfully harm Sony's competitors and create antitrust violations. While Sony has publicly committed to keep Bungie's games cross-platform, its ability to restrict both current titles and future releases in the future is a point of antitrust concern. And yeah, okay. I mean, if that is true, that Sony could eventually restrict, like, hey, they could be like, oh, hey, uh, Destiny 2 is going to be available for, you know, for everybody else, don't worry about that, but then all of a sudden, screw over people by saying, hey, Destiny 3 is going to be only on Sony platforms. That could mm -hmm. be a dangerous precedent. But I do think that Destiny, that Destiny series as a whole, based off how Sony's been wording everything, is likely going to be a multi-platform series. Be beyond Destiny 2. Yeah. Um. So, one, one thing I, I wonder is, like, Why is it Bungie that's... Why, why is it Sony and Bungie? 
like what about Bungie is more um like what what about you know Sony and Bungie that's is more appealing to look into than Activision Blizzard and Microsoft. Well, I think they're still very interested in that one, don't get me wrong. But this is a new inquiry that they're looking into the Sony as well. I see. Yeah. Cause... Kind of ridiculous. Anyways, because like we mentioned before, the consolidation can get dangerous. Yeah. Like, what if we get to a point in which Microsoft's like, hey, uh, we don't really need your Xbox division anymore. Hey, Sony, you want to buy this off of us? I doubt that would happen. I mean, Microsoft's too committed to gaming now. They would not. I don't think they would ever sell Xbox at this point, considering the naming and the vice they're doing is too integral. Yeah. But to sidetrack back to, you know, Sony here, um, I do think that, you know, yeah, if this doesn't get delayed, that would stake a bit more for Sony. But honestly, if de- like I mentioned with Activision Blizzard, if you're going to just buy Bungie, I mean, Actually, I do think that Sony buying Bungie does make a bit more sense than Sony buying, I mean, wow, Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard because of their, you know, the fact they still want to make all their games multi-platform mm-hmm. and just rake in the money. But Sony seems to want to use their talent to help fuel their game like games as a service like lot like all my multiplayer like knowledge this is a more of a knowledge acquisition rather than just the product they're like okay you can just leave destiny 2's multi-platform we're just more so interested in what you guys know so we can make better live service and multiplayer games mm-hmm. um yeah i i don't know i i uh, I just think it's like, uh, what's the difference between six point or three point six billion versus Activision Blizzard was like sixty nine billion, right? Yeah, close. It's sixty eight point seven billion dollars, and that's by a lot. I don't know. It's just like <sighs> the market share that Activision Blizzard has is a lot larger than. Bob- it just feels. It just feels strange you it know it does yeah like ever since microsoft tried to build up their first party studio then everybody thought it was a great idea to start consolidating but then also keep in mind that as jason dreyer says the ftc didn't even look at microsoft 7.5 billion dollar deal at bethesda but last year the commission got a new boss lena khan who was ambitious and hungry to fight tech consolidation so this new person, the FCC, is getting to be very serious about wanting to halt or slow down these acquisitions by tech companies. Yeah. And I think it kind of shows that if you're going to probe, you're definitely interested. Yeah. But yeah, let's just wrap all this up together. Like, Do you have any thoughts about any of the other acquisitions or anything, like a, lap, a lump sum? Like, Do you think that these acquisitions could potentially be good for the gaming industry and is a necessary evil? Or do you think that, you know, this should, you know? I I don't know. I have no other, yeah, I have no other interest 
uh, in this in this sort of topic just because it's like <sighs> I I don't know just just but I just I the only problem is just like like I'm saying it's like it's so weird like that's such a like that's such a small amount to be looking into versus the Activision Blizzard thing it's like ah, I don't know right. <sighs> I don't know I'm just fixated on that right now it's like why is that even though I, you know, you know personally, I, I kind of like, I kind of like support the the you know purchase of Activision Blizzard. Um, but I'm like, why is this? Even though I'm I'm in support of that, it's like, why is that not getting looked into? Because it's a very big deal, versus six point three billion. Or 3.6 billion. You know, that's such a small amount compared to, you know. I don't know. Anyways, I'm, I'm all set. Let's move on to the next article, which... Actually, oh, shit, it's this one. Yeah, so we're going to all of the listing stuff right now, because... Woo! Last week... Two weeks ago? No. Not last week, but the one we were covered usually, but the week beforehand. A lot of games were about to get to listen. And go from Sonic games to PlayStation Now games being delisted before the PlayStation Plus revamp to an entire launcher even getting delisted. Yeah. It's all pretty crazy stuff. But we're going to start off here with the Ubisoft thing here that we have here. That Ubisoft supposedly has shut down online services for more than 91 games. And this varies from things such as Splinter Cell, Just Dance, Far Cry 2, and many other consoles. And this also includes things such as games even on the PS2, and Xbox 360, PS4, and Wii U titles. However, mm-hmm. oh, also, it says weirdly Ubisoft explained that PC players will lose access to previously unlocked content. However, at the very end of this article, it mentioned that this was all a mistake with a blog post post that had an enormous erroneous timestamp that stated that a list of 91 games have now been shut down. And that this has appeared that the publisher had shut off servers for a large number of games all at once. In reality, this was a gradual list that happened over the last year. Hmm. Also, we have to deal with this a user who's Matthew Reynolds, who is the managing editor of Eurogamer. And he points out that Sega announced that it is delisting standalone Sonic games, which will appear in Sonic Origins from May 20th. And once my computer will load, we'll actually see the press release for that, a screenshot of the press release. And you can see here, Sega announced that the company will delist digital versions of the standalone titles that will be featured in the upcoming game Sonic Origins on May 2020, May 20th of 2022. This will include Sonic the Hedgehog 1, 2, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, and Sonic CD. And then there are a couple exceptions, such as the Sonic 1 and 2 that will be available on Sega Ages, and Sonic 2 that will be available on Sega Genesis and Nintendo Switch Online. Also, too, uh, PlayStation Now reportedly moving nearly 60 games ahead of PlayStation Plus revamp. 
And if I could scroll down, that'd be amazing because there's a good amount of lists here, including the main one, which is literally the front page image. Yes, <laughs> Metal Gear Solid Three. Not three. Wow, four that sucks. Four. That's hard. Because <laughs> four. The thing about Metal Gear Solid Four, and holy shit, I don't remember where the hell I put that game. It's somewhere in my room. But that game has not been ported to anything else. It's only ex you know experienced itself in terms of you know streaming in modern platforms, and that really sucks, especially for a series that's so interconnected. Or a rather a game that required knowledge of all the games. That really sucks. Snake had a hard life. And now he's being delisted as his slowly ages rapidly. Slowly ages rapidly, that makes sense. Yeah. Other games uh, on this list include various Sonic games, rest in peace. Though that might mean that Sega not Sega, wow. Xbox Game Pass may have a win on Sonic games. Um, there's a very Sonic game came listed from the servers. Crazy Taxi, Comic Zone, Alter Beast. Like, a lot of Sega games, actually, surprisingly. And, yeah, that's about it on that one. And more on this soon. Okay, we also have to talk about how... You know, Bethesda is setting its Bethesda net launcher... And migrating to Steam. And this was updated on April 27th. And if we scroll down a little bit more. Actually, I think the rest of the article is... Actually, here we go. So, it's just a Q&A thing here. Showing you, like, this is how you get to all the stuff. And, yeah. They officially announced it that you can now... Actually, starting May 11th. You'll no longer be able to play your games with the Net Launcher. But you'll still be able to access your launcher in your library. And, yeah, in other words, you can start transferring your games over to Steam and their library. But the fact that this launcher is shutting down and that people who don't realize you can transfer this stuff to Steam could lose out on their games, at least sucks. Yeah. But let's wrap all this together. So what do you think of what I call a delisting catastrophe okay so the uh the ubisoft one caught me off guard at first but luckily i you know when we scrolled down and looked down i was like oh good okay they didn't just like say oh yeah yeah screw this let's just like kill off everything you know uh I saw it was like also for like PlayStation 4, and that's not really current gen nowadays, but that's, you know, there's no real reason to really have the newer consoles, I guess, as of right now, until they have like a lot more games. Um, and with shortages and stuff, people are less likely to. Uh, anyways, uh, so when it comes to. Uh, that that was a little bit startling until I realized, you know, it's like uh, it's probably like 
dance dance revolution or something um but i don't know just they've it's always been shitty to see the always online aspect of some games you know especially like uh you know just recently we're talking about gran turismo 7 you know it's like i feel like if if these games like actually you can't play them after that it's like i don't know it just it feels rotten to me um when it comes to the sonic the hedgehog you know uh delisting one two three knuckles and the cd uh, uh game it's just greedy i think you know personally i think it's it's just greed that's all it is it's it is pure greed and there's no denying that they're doing this because of the origins i mean especially this um, re- i mean even though i know origins will be better than another game this reminds me of a certain situation with Grand Theft Auto Trilogy, the Definitive Edition. Yep. And I'm so fucking happy that I bought the bundle on Steam before it went away because this is... Uh, I don't know. Anyways, yeah. um, I hope that they are good, though. <laughs> yeah. Not just like it's made by the same team that did Sonic Mania, which actually is a really good 2D Sonic game. So, if you want a good set of uh, of ports or whatever remasters, whatever for some Sonic games, yeah, definitely check out Origins. But make sure you get the digital deluxe version because, as we observed in one of the episodes, I didn't like that at all. Yeah, just get the digital (laughs) deluxe version, get all the stuff, and then walk away. For that, yeah, I would just do it that way. Um, the removal of all these PlayStation Now games, um, I, I don't know how to put it. It's just, yeah, eh. it's like it's minor. I mean, they're gearing up for a new sir, like a revamp service. That kind of makes sense, but hopefully, most of these will come back at some point because obviously losing out. Um, I mean, except for one. That's Konami being Konami. Yeah, besides Metal Gear Solid 4, you know, I I don't know. It's Yeah, like you said, they're pretty much just gearing up for a new thing. And it'll always be there, but the consoles won't always be there. So it's like, maybe that's, you know, I don't know. I just, I think of like all the, like, you know how the Xbox had, like, a decaying chip thing? You know, uh, the original Xbox, how that, that sort of popped up. Right. I don't know, that scares me that that PlayStation I have somewhere over in the attic is decaying in some way. You know? <laughs> um, right. As far as the Bethesda launcher... Um, Sunsetting. I hope people actually got around to it. Um, as long as the saves and the actual game itself, the license to you know own that copy of it, as long as that's transferred over and there's no like 
changes, I guess, like, you know, like a certain trilogy, uh, then, um, well, you know, maybe, uh, maybe that's fine, I guess. It's all right. I don't really think, uh, it matters too much because it's another launcher. I, I really would like a unified sort of launcher sort of thing. And I know Steam does that, but or, not, not really. I know God <laughs> Galaxy does something kind of similar where you can link up all your different launchers and stuff like that. And it compiles it all in one launcher in one list. Yeah, but so as a as just a computer PC user, I, I just like, eh. Yeah, personally... I remember the good old days when before like E you know EA with Origin and Ubisoft with Uplay and all this other stuff. You just go on Steam, everything was there, that's it. Yeah. Or just pop in the CD and use Windows for PC. Mm-hmm. Right. Or Windows games for PC, which shut down and I now own a pile of pieces of plastic. I'm depressed. I don't know how to fix it now. Anyways, uh, speaking of fixing. Yes, so we have a couple of situations with Nintendo, and this is not a usual thing that we see, like, bad light. I mean, obviously, we've seen bad light on Nintendo pretty time, but you would not think that Nintendo would be a, you know, not a great place to work. But in the case, for the first case, you know, there's a contracting thing that they do with Radio City and, like, Update New York, or you would send and get your Joy-Cons repaired. But mm-hmm. it turns out, you know, they just been overly rushed. People are leaving left and right, and it's a whole freaking disaster. And as you can see here from Kotaku, we're going to scroll down a little bit on this. Okay. <laughs> And according to the Kotaku, who independently confirmed worked at a high level within the repair shop, the faulty design of the hardware felt most acutely by those tasked with fixing the hundreds of controllers that flooded each day. They say that easily thousands of Joy-Cons are coming in through each week. United Radio confirmed, well, that's the name of the company, not what I said earlier in the video, confirmed over the phone that they handle switch repairs, but the customer-facing process goes through Nintendo. United Radio relied on temporary employees that were supplied through Aerotech, a staffing company. The former supervisor said, we ended up having to set up an entire new workspace just for Joy-Con repair. And if we continue down, they mentioned how a lack of senior expertise among the staff led to frequent mistakes on Nintendo Switch repairs. Since the United Radio struggled with employee retention, a lot of employees were inexperienced. Temporary employees from Aerotech were eligible to be hired by United Radio as full-time employees after three months, but many never made it past two and a half months. Nipiki firings by Aerotech and folks not showing up were also contributing factors to high turnover. And... Apparently, Kotaku was the only permanent member of the team who was a native English speaker. Most of the separate workers that the source trained are Vietnamese immigrants who are less familiar with English. This means only a couple of them could speak English well enough to act as a liaison between the trainer and the rest of the staff. And then they also mentioned that they speak Spanish, Swahili, and other South Asian languages. And, oh, here's the thing. 
according to Kotaku sources, customers who set in their Joy-Cons from 2017-2018 were set new replacements. For a while, the speedy solution helped alleviate the pressure. At that first year, however, the shop staff were forced to repair every set of Joy-Cons. Turnaround times were tight and the pace was difficult to maintain. The shop was held to a standard of repairing 90% of incoming Joy-Cons within four days, regardless of whether the staff and company set the new workers or not. Yeah, and you can see here, like, the more you look at it, the more you realize how kind of not great the situation is over at United Radio, but it ties in so heavily with Nintendo. Yeah. Um. <sighs> so... But we also have another article here. We'll get to the thoughts on all the stuff later. Okay, that's fine. Uh, where there's an inside the growing disconnect content behind Nintendo's fun facade. And it's been written by Kate Bailey from IGN on May 5th. And it says that in 2010, Nintendo America opened its brand new headquarters in Redmond, Washington, on a 10-acre plot owned by the company since the early 1980s. The latest attorney at Iwata cut the ribbon off on the state-of-the-art facility alongside then-Washington State Governor Chris Gregoire on a gleaming 300,000 300, square foot facility with cushioned benches shaped like D-pads and a Mario Kart-themed parking garage. It was everything a Nintendo fan could imagine, right down to the main boardroom being known as the Master Sword. Across the way path, a soccer pitch of the sort one see, often sees the West Coast Tech campuses is a much older building that isn't nearly as well known. A former warehouse that houses a hodgepodge of departments ranging from data science to product testing and development. It, it in some ways harkens back to the days when NOA was simply an arcade distributor operating out of New Jersey. The warehouse doors are still visible, and the freight elevator near the green desk will sometimes get stuck open and make loud grinding, noise, grinding noises. While Nintendo has spruced up the decoration with some Mario-themed diagrams, it's otherwise a nondescript work area with an atmosphere akin to a library. And I mentioned to how it's just a facility thing, but let's just keep down here. A large percentage of the workers inhabiting this building are contractors, many of whom increasingly see this as second-class citizens with no hope of earning one of the coveted red badges that can grant them unfettered access to the building just across the way, or even just the soccer pitch, which also is off-limits. That, that building doesn't just represent more comfort, it stands for job security career progression, and even a basic professional respect that many contractors don't feel in their day-to-day -day life at the company. The contract between the two buildings reflects the difference in how Nintendo likes to present itself, a technological imaginarium that puts smiles on people's faces and less glamorous reality. Outside of carefully controlled marketing moments, NOA has rarely afforded a glimpse of what it's actually like to work for one of the most famous vegan companies in the real world. But recent reports have former employees, especially contractors, finally opening up, and their stories reveal a Nintendo that can be very different from its cheery marketing. And this article goes on for a while. 
it's yeah uh it's like uh it, it just went all the way down to like uh um the very bottom of it holy crap they that is like you know and the article clarified that for full-time employees at least NOA offers plenty of amenities participating in various community events like while touting its headquarters as being environmentally friendly and we scroll down it's like at least some Nintendo that DNA remains Nintendo NOA's culture. When full-time employees praise Nintendo, they usually walk talk about how much they like their coworkers and how it offers an enviable job security compared to the typically volatile game industry. But as we know, Nintendo, a very old company, and that can yeah. make it seem restrictive, old-fashioned, and demanding. Adding on to that, Nintendo Co. LTDs influence over the company which has been described in conversations over the years source familiar nintendo's inner workings as frequently distant and heavy-handed talking about what it would like to work at noa one former contractor described the culture in the department as stilted and oddly formal with employees apologizing profusely if they left even 15 minutes early as a, I, at first, I attribute it to being a Japanese company and the expectation that came with it, but it was very much reinforced by the full-time staffers. It seemed like you had to be connected at all the time. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, it just meant. Yeah, you can keep going on and on. I don't want to keep, you know, detailing this, but pretty much what it's saying, from what I could tell, is if you're a full-time employee... Oops. Um, this isn't that bad of a deal for you. Like, while there is some oversight, you know, it's not the end of the world. What is under the world for is if you are a contractor. In that case, if you are a contractor, you're kind of screwed. They treat you second class citizens and just do really horrible things. Well, not as horrible as say Activision Blizzard, but still, you don't get treated properly. Yeah, I can, I can see where, uh, this is at. It's like, uh, overworked, underpaid, sort of treated like garbage, even if you are not underpaid or, you know, it just feels like unless you are the perfect star in their eye, you know, sort of thing, Mm. (sighs) you know, it's just like. Yeah, it's kind of funny that some people admit this. I've heard from some. I've heard from some sources. Um, I I don't have this in here, unfortunately. It's just one of those rare instances where, unfortunately, you kind of have to take my word for it. it What's that? That some people have said that Nintendo is a great place to work at. Oh. And everything, but again, based off this article, which I 
kind of would be leaning toward believing as well. It does show that, hey, if you're a full-time employee, this is not a bad place to work. But if you are a contractor, expect to not be treated very friend very well. And even just looking at the, you know, the headings and everything, they have a whole badge system, apparently. Yeah. Literally pinpoints if you are a contractor, which can make it more prone to discrimination. Ouch. It's like a class system, like a tier system, almost like, uh, I'd assume red badge is like the, you know, gold standard while actual gold badges are, you know, like important VIPs and blue badges are like lower class in the sense of, uh, worksmanship to the company and such. Yeah. I'm just trying to do a quick skim on this. Yeah, I've seen one. I think uh, it was uh, there's a girl named Jen, and uh, as far as I know, um, she'd be forced to return home because her sister passed away. Um, and then there was an interviewer that told her that she had attendance issues, which is like. That is not something you want to fucking hear when somebody dies on you and you're being told by your workplace that you don't attend, you know, and that you're, you know, you're not, um, you're not, uh, valued as much. Oh, yeah. I mean, here because you can see here that I'm going to bring the article back up. Translators are constant fe are a constant feature of life as messages are translated and retranslated. Taking time off can be frowned upon and viewed as putting more of a burden on your teammates. Sick days include fervent apologies and promises to be in touch. In contrast with the sometimes overbearing positive employees constantly talking about how lucky they are to be at Nintendo, especially areas like marketing localization department. So yeah, like, Nintendo seems to be a very contrasting company to work in. Some departments, they're absolutely amazing and treat you extremely well. Other departments, especially if you're a contractor, it's absolutely horrible and a nightmare. Yeah. It's like it makes it hard to say if you if you want to take a dice on the gamble. But all I could say is that it kind of shows that as a reminder. Not every person, not not every person, not every company is always the shining beacon of, you know, perfection that we always seem to portray them as. Yeah, and it's also a reminder that uh, these companies, businesses, they aren't your friends. Exactly. They're only to make money and to give you money for making them even more money than you'll ever make in your life. So take whatever they say about their care and whatnot with a grain of salt, honestly, exactly. you know, it's like, I, I look at these things and it's like some of them, you know, they're genuine, they feel genuine, but at the end of the day, I can realize it's stupid to say that. And I should really reevaluate 
any statement that ever supports them full wholeheartedly when it comes to like things that are like, yeah, they care. I'm sure they do. Me, some random dude with emotional problems out somewhere far away versus this guy sitting at the top of his skyscraper in his uh, boss's chair, you know? Right, I like, I am, I'm like nothing. So it's like, I'm a speck of dust, you know? Uh, just like you, you know? I hear you. Get, get that pop figure away. <laughs> Anyways. Yes, um, but speaking of controversial stories, I mean, we're going to take a field trip back to Square Enix again. And the reason why we have to take take a field trip back to, from Square Enix is because Yuji Naka, the creator of not only Balan won the world, but created Sonic the Hedgehog himself. Um detailed his experience at Square Enix. And a case as to why, like, Battle Won the World is not the greatest game when it came out. And this is coming from, and the translation is being provided by Cheesemeister. Cheesemeister. <sighs> what a and, name. <laughs> yeah. And it's a whole series of tweets that fortunately he was able to translate each of them one by one without having to make us rely on Bing Translate or Google Translate. Mm -hmm. So here we go. I was removed as director of Bound One of the World about half a year before its release. So I filed a lawsuit against Square Enix. Now that the proceedings are over and I am no longer bound by company rules, I'd like to speak out. I think it's wrong of Square Enix not to value games and game fans. According to court documents, I was removed at the court director of Battle Won the World for two reasons. It was done by the producer, head of marketing, head of sound, managing director, and HR. First, when a YouTuber arranged piano performance of the game music was released in a promotion that the original game track, turning the composer into a ghostwriter, I insisted that the original track be released, and this caused trouble. Uh, second, according to court documents, Naoto Oshima told producer Noriyoshi Fujimoto that the relationship with Arzest was ruined due to comments I made wanting to improve the game in the face of Arzest submitting the game without fixing bugs. Also, in an email from o Oshima to Fujimoto, he wrote, I just told the staff about the demo delay. When I told them this was production, Fujimoto's decision. Let's do our best for him. The staff applauded and cheered. This was unexpected, and I was moved. The staff's been down lately, but their spirits have been revived. Thank you very much. All of us and the staff will work hard, so the schedule wasn't up to me, but the producer. You get the schedule being tight what the producer's doing. Something was off. We were releasing an original game, but only putting out a range track was definitely wrong. I believe that the game music that everyone can hum out are the original tracks. I believe that every effort must be put in to make games the best they can be, 
until the very end so that game fans will enjoy what they buy. It wasn't right to, without discussion, remove and complete a disassociate from the project a director saying so. Retweeting, liking, etc. on SNS and such was banned, so I don't think Square Enix value game fans. There are many comments and wonderful illustrations about Battle won the World, and I'm really sorry that I couldn't react to them. Myself, I'm truly sorry for the to the customers who bought Ballad Won the World in an unfinished date. From this point forward, I will be able to react to posts tagging me or directed only towards me on SNS and such. I believe that when making games, asking for fixes in order to make something good should be a given. If that's not possible, it should be talked over, but it looks like they can't. I don't think they value games. For Sonic the Hedgehog, two weeks before finalizing, the spec was changed so that if you have even one ring, you don't die. This now well-known rule was the result of improving the game until the very end, and people world over have enjoyed it as a result. Improving a game until the very end is what being a game creator is all about, and if that's not possible, something's wrong. I asked my lawyer to negotiate my just be being able to comment until the end of production, but their refusal led me to file suit. I think that the resulting battle won the world and the critical reception it received have a lot to do with what happened. I'm really disappointed that a product that I worked on from the start turned out this way. I personally regret that Battle won the world was released to the world in an unfinished state. I wanted to consider all kinds of things and release it as a proper action game. I don't think that Square Enix and Arzest value games and their fans. Oh, that's a lot to... That, that's a lot to um, think about, I guess, you know? Um, kind of being silenced in a sense, you know? Yeah. Um, the, the way I see it is, um, it, it's a bit disingenuine, you know, um, especially uh, from this, uh, the, what is it? The, yeah, the third tweet. First, when a YouTuber's arranged piano performance of the game music was released in a promotion instead of the original game track, turning the composer into a ghostwriter, I insisted that the original track be released, and this caused trouble. You know, um, so that's, um, you know, at first I was wondering, um, at first, but what he meant was, uh, is like, uh, the youtuber who made it and his muse his version was wouldn't be credited you know or something like that is that is that right something like the fact that it's like hey you're gonna use the youtuber version but not the original version that's not really credited yeah i think that, that, is, a, that is a bit problematic like, that's very problematic i mean it's like uh it's, i mean then again some developers are tight-lipped and you know very uh ready to pounce with some some stuff like this but i understand uh it's a bit uh it's a bit rude to kind of just steal it away and not even provide any credit you know 
um, even if it's you know owned by uh owned by you i understand it's not a it's not the it's it's very uh not genuine yeah i mean if you look uh, at some of the twitter comments like from if you click on the original post and scroll down some people will do say that yuji naka can be hard to work with and i get that but at the same time is it right to literally mute what essentially is a mutiny against the director or producer of a game they want to do something different who knows i mean i i understand his argument that the uh two weeks before sonic uh you know the uh all of if, if you have a swearing you know it's um it's perfectly fine to uh you know um to get hit because you'll still survive it sort of stuff i understand uh you know you wanted to speak up about it uh so i mean if somebody's pointing out that a game is not finished and stuff and it's you know a little bit it's a bit more important to Listen to them, especially if they're in a higher position like that, you know? So, so yeah. it's sad to see that uh, Square Enix uh, didn't like um, didn't like that he wanted to improve the game. <laughs> right. Because not only do we see a situation in which Square Enix is completely being out of touch, being into cryptocurrency, and selling what their developers, like we mentioned earlier, but they're also treating someone, supposedly, who, you know, was helping, like, lead the direction of a game rather poorly and practically silenced him. I mean, if the developers thought he was being a bit too harsh, that's one thing. But it sounds like he just has a very, very high, you know, standard. Yeah, and some people think my they think he's a bit too ambitious, but to me this screams he just has a really high standard. He might be very strict, but he just has a high standard. And ultimately, it seemed like people might not like the standard he wanted to have. Yeah, I. And so it made working with him rather difficult. Nice. Yeah. Sure, that comes from. Uh, well, either way, luckily, um, uh, luckily, uh, he doesn't have to worry about being stuck with an out of touch developer, I guess, you know, like, you know, uh, you know, being your, um, project. You know, they at least a project they have part in. Uh, you have no bound, and it's you know, it's it won't because hearing this uh, being released in an unfinished state, that's like I don't know. It's it's sad to see uh, somebody actually noticing this and being silenced like that. You know, it's like um, right. I'd rather, though I'd rather have, um, 
a company like that that's willing to you know not just pretend it's fine because the pretending it's fine point it's it depending on the situation pretending that it's fine is it's it's like a building on top of shaky ground you know it's like hoping that it all works out or that nothing will come of it but it really will eventually it just will take a little while or it'll take next day who knows um yeah um but we can at least move on to something maybe a little bit more you know brighter in the okay. fact that Fortnite and Xbox Cloud Gaming are have formed a partnership. Um, Hydro, uh, I, I... and so as you can see here, we have you know, play Fortnite on iOS, iPad OS, Android phones, and tablets, and Windows PC with Xbox Cloud Gaming for free. That's right. You're going to be able to play Fortnite on a device so long as you make sure you sign up for a Microsoft account and can do, you know, just play. And, you know, as long as you have an Xbox Live account that has Game Pass Ultimate, you can just go ahead and stream Fortnite. And this is actually pretty good, too, because it gives an option. I mean... I think like free to play games like this that are always online, anyways. Just for a game like this, it does make sense to stream it. Yeah, like, you have you already have to go through all your way to make sure it's online. Like, why do you need to download a game that's always has to be online, anyways? Just remove the online, just remove the physical download requirement, and just make it fully online. Mm-hmm. Also, too, I mean, being able to get iOS users a way to play the game is always welcome as well. Oh, yeah. I don't know what your um, thoughts are on this, but... Well, you know, I think um, the, uh, the ability to at least, you know, like, it's, it's a... Uh, the fact that you can just bypass the whole Apple thing, by the way, is interesting <laughs> like um like xbox partners with epic games so anything that it's supported with is like you know you can play it it's it's a, it's a really cool <laughs> um but besides that uh i mean fact i i understand what what you mean by you know always online being streamed i guess um it's just uh you know streaming a game will always have its kind of like disadvantages with input lag and stuff but uh like even with like a game that is usually fine like um with input lag, like a third-person, slower sort of game like that, you know, uh, like uh, not something that's fast-paced. It's not as very, uh, it's not as needed. But, uh, um, and I get what you're saying with that, though. Uh, but, I mean, 
I'm just happy there's a way to bypass the uh, Android restriction or the iOS restriction. Android, right. that'd be sad. Android, there there's a restriction if you're using the Google Play Store, but Android, you can at least sideload the app. This is a way that makes it so, hey, if you don't know how to sideload an app or you're on iOS, you have a way of being able to do to play the game. And this is very good for the player. Hmm. Yeah, it is. Also, uh, supposedly, poke. there's a study on Pokemon Go. Yes, including the one in real life. Found out that it led to decrease in depression weights internet searches. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and Alpaca, take this one away because you're the one. You're the one that actually found this one. Yeah. So I saw this, and like I'm gonna be honest, it was it was just off offhand. But I saw it, and I saw Pokemon Go in depression, and I was like. Can't be good. And then I saw, apparently, it leads to a decrease in depression, uh, with with inner inner searches. Now, I don't know if it's I don't know if anybody's like me where um, they force Google or Bing or their browser to be their armchair psychologist. <laughs> but sometimes when I get really depressed. I'll look up demonetizable things, and I don't know why I do it, but I just do it. I mean, um, you probably were just looking up, you know, R34 versions of you having sex with a hot say Miku rubber duck or, you know, Felix Ferrari Zero. Anyways, um, uh, so it was a study by the London School of Economics, and they looked into how apparently Pokemon Go affected local depression trends. Um, areas that had access to the game, the amount of depression-related searches. Uh, just wasn't as much, I guess. Um, but I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, this is an interesting thing to find as a statistic. Like, just because you're going outside a lot and everything, it does make sense. It does say, like, within like one of the parts of the article here, that because it's a location-based service game, like it's. Simply, the reason Pokemon Go led to fewer depression-related searches is that it and other location-based video games encourage outdoor physical activity, face-to-face socialization, and exposure to nature. All things that tend to make people happier. Oh, yeah. And I do agree with that because, you know, if you have a counselor or a therapist, sometimes they recommend exercise or getting out and all that sort of stuff. Um... And uh, personally, I agree too, because the you know the endorphins of you know I can you know pumped with stuff and all that. It's like it's definitely a, just even a even a slight minor bit, you know. Less. It's a great way to get your stress out in a sense. You know, um, 
because you feel like you're doing something you know i guess and it's like uh you know apparently it releases serotonin and stuff i understand where they're coming at with this um but it isn't claiming that it cures depression but it's more just a game like this is very helpful for you know uh, getting out more and you know leaving that stress of being stuck at home all the time and not doing anything and um you know it's not, it's not easy to get out especially compared to 16 of course but um things are slowly opening up and all that personally though you know it's like um i don't know it's good to see that it's helping people in a sense i mean it's Pokemon. i i would love to uh strangle them anyway no i'm just kidding right uh, i think at this point i don't know i don't think we have much else to say on this so we can just quickly move on to the next topic that we have here oh of course of course i just thought that was uh noteworthy anyways this one is also something that you know alpaca mentioned and the fact that as time went on uh you know You can see here, Babylon's Fall dropped to one concurrent player on PC. That one concurrent player on PC could be you, my audience. Or just be Alpaca because you want something cool to play. Fuck. Something cool to play. Nobody's playing it. That's it. Okay. Be that one person. But anyways, Alpaca, go ahead and explain this story. I believe you're the one that found this. Okay, so when I came to this as well, um, this is also something I just saw and was like, like, what? <laughs> um, hey, and it's Square Enix, our, our favorite uh, NFT pushers. Um, Second favorite publisher right now behind Activision Blizzard. Like, seriously, I'm starting to like be like, mm, yeah, these guys, they're... <laughs> Ooh, are pushing me. Anyways, their, um... Their favorite is probably Konami, but they're very silent. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, one of our top favorite developers is actually Blue Box because of Abandoned, but they're not in the news this week. Yeah. Um... <sighs> uh, but when it comes to this, uh, apparently it just dropped one user. Um... That was a midnight around that was like very late night on the 4th of May. Wow. Um, so that wasn't just too, too, too long ago, I guess. Um, and according to the same data, it failed to attract more than 77, like some less than a hundred people. Right. And, and it just so happens at one point it fell to one person who was just like playing it and was like fuck everyone go anyways um um they're, they're like kevin waking up on a uh, christmas eve you know or the um, Kev- that just wanted to i don't know uh go no, outside th- yeah i was thinking like kevin McAllister. he's like where did everybody go <laughs> um 
but yeah, no, um, it's it, it, it definitely paints I, a worrying image for this game, though. It really does. Yeah, and this is a this is a sixty dollar game too. Just so you know. Yeah, that's the worst part about this. You know, with microtransactions. Completely unappealing. Like, yeah. <sighs> like, don't get me wrong. When I saw the gameplay for this game, I'm like, okay, I, that could be something with the idea that you have four weapons and two and like four arms. Yeah. And you can make these interesting builds, but the fact that no one's playing it, and on top of it too, it would market it poorly. And Platinum Games, which pro, who's probably been. Really stressed with a bunch of different projects, including, you know, Bandana 3. Yeah. Probably makes sense as to why, you know, there have been times in Platinum's histories where they have been overworked. I feel like right now, I don't know how many development teams or staff they have right now, because I know they did get an investment for, like, mm-hmm. I believe Tencent. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> It was a while ago, though, so sometime last year. Oh, okay. Um, but besides that, like, you could clearly tell that, you know, Platinum seems to be working on 10,000 other things right now, one of which is probably banned at 3, which, depending on when we can find out about the game, would be nice, hopefully during the summer with Nintendo's presentation. Yeah. Um... And yeah, I don't have much else to say on this one here as well. I mean, me neither. It just, oh wow, this kind of stinks to see it go down to one player and see it fall from grace. Yeah. But what, what is, however, getting close to completion is okay, we have to go back to Square Enix again. No. But not in, you know, the same light that, you know, we've been slamming them on. It's actually something a bit more positive. Oh. And that oh, I guess this. Final Fantasy 16 is actually nearing its final stages of development, supposedly. And that one of the tags even says, we hope that Final Fantasy 16 will be a game that can bring back anew the passion that you once had with the series. Okay. And apparently, Final Fantasy 16's producer... Naoki Yoshida has said the game is in its final stage of development. Yoshida confirmed the progress in a pamphlet that accompanied the franchise's official clothing line that is translated by Twitter user Itakimochi saying we're in the final phase of development for the numbered game in the, in the series. And so Yoshida added that he thinks the game's story, which is obviously a very different experience from Final Fantasy XIV Online, which is another game he also produced, is a fleshed-out experience that will bring back older fans. And, right. and also, I do know, I think what I heard, it's, it, is gonna be the, it could be the first M-rated Final Fantasy game. Not that it matters, but I remember you know, one of our former co-hosts, actually, our former co-host, actually found that as a sticking point for some reason. Mm. I don't know. I mean, the, I mean, a, yeah. a lot of games. Uh, I mean, sorry. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it is a sticking point. Don't get me wrong, but I don't think it's a seller. 
you know, it's the thing is, um, uh, you know, the, the trend to like have a mature audience sort of, uh, you know, it, it always being, you know, M or Peggy 18 or not. It's like, I feel like the, um, push for that has dwindled a little bit, but I also feel like, uh, the rating systems, uh, you know, they kind of really, uh, they get this issue where, uh, in my opinion, is that they restrict, like, I feel like they restrict the freedom to show what needs to be shown or something, you know? Right, but let's get back to the game. Yeah, uh, so. But yeah, good news for Final Fantasy 16 fans. I mean, this seems like it'll be a pretty fun game. I mean, considering the fact that the pedigree for this is strong... Considering Final Fantasy XIV has actually been Square Enix has probably been their most profitable game out there. Mm-hmm. And even we've discussed earlier on, like how like there's been server outages and they had to actually stop selling the game because it was just too popular. Yeah, that was that was kind of sketchy. <laughs> no, we're too popular. <laughs> well. In the sense that, you know, the game itself is... So many people have been joining the server because of, you know, a certain expansion pack. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I just thought it was... I'm like, oh, you know. Right. Too much traffic. Right. And our last gaming topic for the day is the fact that we have this Fisher-Price controller... And the, and someone actually managed to make it work for Elden Ring. Oh. So yes, you two, your toddler too can learn how to beat Elden Ring. Oh, okay. And this uh, is according to Rodasm. On Twitter, has modded the Fisher Price Lap and Learn game and learn controller to actually work on PC, and they even played Elden Ring with it. And he shared footage of the controller, which he effectively turned an X into an Xbox controller. He also explained that a bit about how he modded the controller while leaving so many of the toys' original sounds intact. So whenever you press buttons, it'll still make sounds as if it was the toy. <laughs> that's that's cool that's cool and they mentioned that one of the biggest challenges was the fact that the controller had no right analog stick and what they actually did was they utilized the mode switch that would be on the bottom right remember how we were yeah. looking at that little nub that you know when you look at it it looks like it goes left and right yeah apparently the way they did it was they made it so it's actually more of a switch and you just, and when you flip it one way, it's changing it to the right analog stick. And you flip the other way, it changes it to the left. Ooh, that is, that's pretty genius, actually. Um, I mean, I wouldn't use it for an FPS, of course, but wow. I mean, if they really wanted to go with that way, what they would just do is just make that whole right area a actual analog stick yeah that would still that's move. cool though yeah um 
and this product actually was inspired by an offhand joke that Wario64 tweeted on April 15th. And the joke was that he shared a link to a discounted official price controller and said it was perfect for Elden Ring. Oh. Um. But, but yeah, I mean, what do you think of this controller being used for Elden Ring if, if it was modded? Um, I'd hate to be killed by the guy on, on the other end, knowing that while they're roasting me and teabagging me, I also hear the giggles of the Fisher-Price controller in the background. Right. This is why... <laughs> this is why this game is too difficult. It's because you need to make a modified controller just to play it. Just right. kidding. I hear you. Get um, good. Sorry. Not only get good, but you have to make sure you follow Fufapaka on his Twitch channel. Or he could one day p play Elden Ring live. I think I will. Like, I'll, I'll wait for it to be, you know, a thing and then just get pissed off at it 24-7. <laughs> yeah, and it'll be your first Souls game. It's going to be great. And Sorry. I'll tell you this about Souls games, though. What? You know, they may be challenging. If you played any classic Mega Man game or anything like that, it's kind of like that in terms of its mentality. Where you kind of have to, like, avoid the bosses at the right time and slash them to find a bit of a weak point. Oh, so it's like the the boss from the Shadow Temple in Ocarina of Time. Well, if you know how Mega Man works. Uh, a little bit. <laughs> Where you know you have the eight robot masters, you gather powers, and off the way they go. Yeah. The order of the of that game, I believe, is somewhat like that. Oh, okay. So I have to like make sure I'm doing everything in order, in a sense, right? I mean, Elden Ring is kind of a unique situation because it's an open world Souls game. Yeah. So you can do whatever you want with it. But okay. I, I talk about when fighting bosses, it's kind of like a similar mentality to like Mega Man in the sense that you have to constantly, you know, make sure you're hitting all the weak spots. Otherwise, you'll fail. I see. So it's like a very, very difficult. Um, it's like a very difficult Zelda. It actually kind of is. OK, so because when you mentioned that, you know, you had to hit the boss at the right time i was thinking of the shadow temple that's actually where i left off in ocarina of time when i was a little kid i was like this is too hard <laughs> um right um anything else you want to say about this before we move on to the next topic um no other than i love this and i'd love to see him uh put you know uh whoever this is one second rudism i'd love to see the you know Adding an analog stick or adding like the, you know, how the original, the Duke had like a, a black and white button on the side. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. Instead of it being like that, you know, you could make it push in or something. I don't know. Something like that. Right. And with that being said, I think that's going to be it for today. So we'll move on to our tech topics. And the first of our topics today is the fact that Elon Musk just bought Twitter. 
Well, at least he's in the process of buying it, similar to what Microsoft's going with with Activision Blizzard. But as we can tell, there's already been a couple of changes so far. Yeah, so... Been very minute, but... Yeah, so to begin with, uh, Elon Musk and Twitter have come to a deal. And pretty much... Musk, it's fair saying how Musk and the board of the Influential Social Network, this is according to CNET, by the way, have agreed to a deal that values the company at about $44 billion. Twitter said in a press release Monday, Musk will pay shareholders $54.20 per share, representing a 38% premium on Twitter's closing stock price on April 1st, when a tech mogul disclosed a 9% stake in the company. Musk is, of course, one of the largest shareholders, as we've seen. And as you can see here, I mean, we're going to look at this very soon, according to Elon Musk's Twitter. But yeah, this is a very good thing. I mean, you can even see how Twitter, I mean, not very good thing, depending on who you are, but Twitter CEO Parag Agarwal even mentioned that Twitter has a purpose and relevance that impacts the entire world. Deeper power of our teams inspired by work has never been more important. I was just on April 25th. And yeah, so this is a, this is a good, um, good, pro I guess not good, but progress towards Elon Musk actually winning the war. <laughs> yes. It, he's winning the uh, battle of uh, the bird. Instead of the Battle of the Bulge, the Battle of the Bird. Right, like we've seen beforehand, before we get on further, like we've seen beforehand that Twitter tried to fight back on this deal, and clearly they lost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and now Twitter's going to, and then Twitter is going to eventually become must utopia of social networking. Yeah, I guess so. Where that may Something be. Like that. And throughout this time, Musk actually has been announcing some of his plans on his Twitter, which we're going to take a look at that here. And this kind of starts off with things such as, I hope that even my worst critics are made on Twitter because that is what free speech means. And he goes a bit further than this as his free speech is the bedrock of a functioning democracy and Twitter is the digital town square where matters vital to the future of humanity are debated. I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features, making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating the spam bots and authenticating all humans. Twitter has tremendous potential. I look forward to working with the company and the community of users to unlock it. That open source thing eventually. We're gonna come back to that. Yeah, um, that's a little bit of a bold thing to put out there already. Let's come back to that though. Yeah, yeah. open source algorithms. That's that means a lot, right? In the way of, uh, you know, uh, dev community, you know making tools and such right also we could see here later in the week he that week he mentioned the extreme antibody reaction from those who fear 
free speech says it all. By free speech, I simply mean that which matches the law. I am against censorship that goes far beyond the law. If people want less free speech, they will ask government to pass laws that affect. Therefore, going beyond the law is contradictory to the will of the people. Again, we're going to come back to this because there's a point here that I kind of want to make that regards other countries. Because yeah. some countries don't have the same free speech law that the United States does. Yeah, some are, uh, uh, First Amendment covers, uh, little in those countries, even though it's not the First Amendment in this case for yeah. another place. Mm -hmm. It's not one-to-one. -one. Right. And that's pretty damn obvious once you look at a few things in the world. And obviously anyway. you can tell that Elon Musk has been starting to become very passionate with truth with Twitter because as you can see a little bit later on in the week, True Social is currently being Twitter and TikTok in the App Store. True Social, which he mentions is a terrible name, exists because Twitter censors free speech. Should be called Trumpet instead. Honestly, I kinda agree with that. It you know, um it's it's a bit uh scary though, you know. Um uh the whole like uh truth social thing. Remember we were talking about how it became like an echo echo chamber? We were afraid of that. Mm -hmm. I can see that he's pointing fingers because he's like, Yeah, um, I'm going to be more free than this, than the, than the, than actually, than Truth Social, I guess, that sort of thing. Yeah. It'd be kind of hilarious. You know? And funny enough, as we can see, uh, on my screen at least, you can see it's recommending thing like Fox News on Musk's Twitter. So take that for what you will. I'm not going to say course. anything specific, but yeah. take that for what you will. We will come back to that. And then also he mentioned the same day for Twitter to deserve public trust, it must be politically neutral, which effectively means upsetting the far right and the far left equally. God, that last line that after the comma reminds us of, you know, one of our dear friends slash former co-hosts. Yeah. Um, it also reminds me of, uh, uh, it's kind of like uh, being uh, in the middle of two completely opposing sides and not pleasing them, but making sense of either one's bullshit, you know? Yeah, I do agree that Twitter should tr strive to be politically neutral, though. I do agree with that. Of course, yeah. Maybe not upsetting both of them, but try to find a compromise between the two of them. And I hope that Elon Musk is going to be able to find that compromise, whatever means that may be. Um, yeah. I guess the compromise is uh, tweeting that Bill Gates looks like the uh, uh, chubby belly emote. Right, exactly. Quote-unquote pregnant man emote, which honestly... Yeah. 
it looks nothing like it. it just looks like a fucking giant beer gut yeah let's get back to the twitter stuff for a bit uh, yeah 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 i just noticed he posted that and i'm just like yeah he posts <laughs> he posts he posts some funny content but anyways back to his thoughts on twitter he also mentioned that twitter dm should have end-to-end encryption like signal so no one can spy or hack in messages. This I actually agree with. Like, it would be nice to have protected messages so no one could hack your messages or look at them. That would be very nice. That's stupidly obvious. I didn't know that I didn't ever have that. Mm. And obviously you can see Elon Musk is saying things like, let's make Twitter maximum fun. And if we continue upwards, I mean, Elon Musk, like I said, continues to make funny posts now i'm gonna buy all of mcdonald's and fix all the ice cream machines yeah he even posted Listen, something i can't do miracles he posted something on the same day that next i'm buying coca-cola put the cocaine back in as a joke I'm, i mean honestly i'm already feeling it i just opened up a can of coke and i'm, I'm just like <sighs> yeah that feels nice and then here's another thing. This isn't necessarily Twitter related, but I feel like this brings a idea as to what his philosophy is. The far left hates everyone, themselves included. But I am no fan of the far right either. Let's have less hate and more love. And I do feel this is a problem with echo chambers. And this is something I wish Elon Musk could resolve, is how do you end the echo chamber effect that social media has created? What can you do to bridge those gaps? Uh. And then, also, we're going to scroll up quite a while. And you can see here, ultimately the downfall of Freemasons was giving away their still cutting services for nothing. Twitter will always be free for cash users, but maybe a slight cost for commercial and government users. To me, this translates to he wants to make it so if you want to use Twitter for the sake of commercial or for like, politicians, you have to pay up for that. It's probably going to add some features that like, hey, if you're going to be a business like Twitter user or a government, there's going to be a separate license fee or something like that. I think that makes sense as long as it, there's like a uh, a cutoff point where you're considered a casual commercial user versus like I'm I'm literally Coca Cola or Doritos or, or Frito Lay or something you know. Yeah. And then, and obviously he'll post things like Brand should force Twitter to uphold content policies under Musk. And you can see his responses. Like his thoughts on this. Who funds these organizations that want control to control your access to information? Let's investigate. And he finds another article that says, interesting. I wonder if those funding these organizations are fully aware of what the organizations are doing. Which seems to be silencing Musk. That's a good way to reinforce someone's opinion on something. And potentially push them even more towards the echo chamber. That's not what we want. Yeah. 
And then obviously, you know, he's posts a lot of things about space and Tesla because he owns Tesla. And then, oh, and here is something he also wants to mention too. I'm going to take a look at my calendar real quick just to make sure. Okay, last thing I'm going to mention here. If Twitter acquisition completes, the company will be super focused on hardware. Wow. Super focused on hardcore software engineering, design, infosec, and server hardware. Also, worth expectations would be extreme, but much less than I would demand of myself. This pretty much means to me that if he is going to, that, you know how like certain companies are ha like Amazon for instance have a very strong worth ethic? Yeah. From what I could tell from Tesla, from like how he treats Tesla or SpaceX, think something like that, but slightly less extreme. Okay. Like a sense of a very high standard. Yeah. A performance. But Elon Musk like stresses himself out from what I understand. Like he goes completely like trenched in the battlefield within his the companies he owns. Mm -hmm. So but yeah, this is all we have to say from his Twitter. But there's even more to say beyond just the thoughts he mentioned on, the, on his Twitter, which he's very vocal on Twitter. He is very vocal. So it's so you get an idea what his thoughts are and how he wants to transform Twitter just from that alone. But I also want to move on to other things, such as how Trump is, while he's still banned for Twitter, says he won't return after the Musk buyout. And this literally is mentioned because former President Donald Trump says he won't return Twitter, the platform he was banned from following the deadly January 6th insurrection, but instead he'll use his own true social network to reach his fans. Trump made the comments to Fox News on Monday following the news that Tesla CEO Elon Musk has struck a deal to purchase the social media network for $44 billion. And he even mentioned that I'm not going on Twitter, I'm going to stay on truth. I hope Elon buys Twitter because he'll make improvements to it and he is a good man. So, in translation is, he trusts that Elon Musk will do good things for Twitter, but he still doesn't want to go back in order to help grow True Social. Oh. Alright, well. I mean, I understand. Um... I understand kind of why because he literally only formed it because he felt well one he got banned but he felt like it wasn't catering in a sense to his political ideologies i guess yeah so he made his own in a sense to uh i'm almost in a way to spite you know um And, uh, I mean, I understand why he wouldn't just be like, oh, okay, somebody else bought it. Now let's, now I'm gonna go 
back on it and dismantle all the money that I put into this new social media thing. No, he's just going to use it to, uh, you know, he's just going to um, enjoy, you know, truth social for what it is and just do what he can to make it his version of Twitter, you know? Right. And from what I've heard of Truth Social, the interface is very similar to Twitter as it already is. Yeah. So we'll keep that in mind. But there's a lot more to go on with this Twitter story, such as how federal judges dismisses Trump's lawsuit. Well, this is going back to Trump. Dismisses Trump's lawsuit against Twitter. And it's a quick thing, but we have to keep in mind that San Francisco Federal District Court Judge James Donato has taught the lawsuit Donald Trump first filed against Twitter last year in a bid to get his account back. The social network permanently suspended the former president's account after his supporters stormed the Capitol in January 2021. And yeah, so this is something, like I said, this is a minor footnote, but I figured that this kind of leads towards a little slightly off topic, like I said. Mm hmm. But it kind of shows that apparently his ban was justified. It wasn't just a you know unjustified like hate thing. Yeah. But in the eyes of Twitter and the law, it was justified. Mm -hmm. That hey, Twitter did not violate the First Amendment. Though I to counter that, I do wonder like. Silencing someone should silencing someone be considered First Amendment? Uh, no, because it only protects uh people that it only protects the uh people that are being uh silenced by a government type or federal entity or even state, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, so, like, if it was uh, you know, if uh. What was it? If it was a government sort of censorship to you saying what you would about an opinion or something, that's a bit different. But if it's if it's a company, then they have every right to, you know, be as fascist or, you know, totalitarian, I guess, or whatever. Um, another note, though, um, I feel like the only thing i don't like is that if this happens while trump was president i feel like the only difference is is a the you know literally having a president of the united states being banned off of a you know having their account suspended or you know deleted and banned off i feel like that's uh a bit different because that is literally the leader in a sense you know it's kind of like somebody who's been appointed as the leader, you know, for four years. I feel like that's a little different, even if personally you can't agree with him and he might be saying some stupid stuff. I think he, I think any president shouldn't be banned when they're in office, at least. Right. That's why they have a dedicated president, government accounts. They have dedicated government accounts. Yeah. I feel like that's uh that's the only exception to right that unless they get hacked and then some 
moron starts making them say things they aren't. Yeah, they wouldn't say, you know. Right. I mean, I know that Trump used his personal Twitter more than the presidential Twitter during his time in office, but that's beside the point. We have to get back to the main story of. Let's get back to the main story of the whole week. I just thought this would be a nice little diversion, considering the fact that we mentioned Trump being banned, and like how this could be a more, yeah. Just as a little point that, hey, this is still, the, the ban is still technically justified by the law. Yeah, yeah. Let's get back to or, here, though, because. Or at least isn't really uh, much of a point of contention, I guess, or something. Anyways, yeah, like you said. Yeah, so, and we also have the fact that Jack Dorsey even endorsed Musk's Twitter takeover. As you can scroll down and see his tweet here i love twitter twitter is the closest thing we have to a global consciousness the idea and service is all that matters to me and i will do whatever it takes to protect both twitter is a good company twitter as a company has always been my sole issue and my biggest regret it has been owned by wall street and the ad model taking it back to wall taking it back from wall street is the correct first step and in principle i don't believe anyone should own or run twitter it wants to be a public good at a protocol level not a company solving the problem for the problem but being a company however elon is the single senior solution i trust i trust his mission to extend the light of consciousness elon's goal of creating a platform that is maximally trusted and broadly inclusive is the right one this is also paraga's goal and why i chose him thank you both for getting the company out of an impossible situation this is the right path i believe with all my heart and this guy is the co-founder of Twitter, and he's literally saying, hey, I, I trust the Elon for doing this. So this shows that there's faith within, like, the founding spirit of Twitter yeah. to allow this. Yeah, I, I wouldn't give anybody something that I hold dear as almost like my child, you know, in a sense. You know, something like that, right? Yeah. It seems a bit, uh, it seems like you were just you know, giving it away at that point just because of money. Mm -hmm. I would make sure the person that I give it to, I'm, that makes total sense. Also, I never noticed just, like, what Jack Dorsey looked like. I don't know. Reminds me of, like, a friend I knew. Right. Anyways, sorry. Yeah, back to this. Um, and also, but however, now do you have your, you know, you have your praisers, but you also have your critics, such as Europe. <laughs> the entirety of Europe was just like, what the fuck, dude? No, this is bad. Musk bad. Something like that. I don't know. Yeah. So apparently in an interview with the Financial Times, that must Twitter must still be subject to EU regulations, including the new Digital Services Act, governing efforts to fight misinformation. The Tesla chief is welcome, but there are rules he has to follow. And for those who don't know, this act required Twitter and other internet companies to share how they're curbing false claims on their sites. It also bans ad targeting minors as well as specific ethnicities, political affiliations, religions, and sexual orientations. Firms also have to share how their recommendation systems work, offering non-profiling alternatives and shared data with researchers. Any company that doesn't comply risks fine 
up to 6% of global turnover if they refuse to change an EU ban. I do feel like, honestly, with how transparent Elon Musk is. <laughs> pardon the sneeze. That's okay. But I feel like how, you know, how transparent he is and how open source he wants everything to be with Twitter, I feel like he would actually oblige to these requirements. I don't think, you know, obviously banning ads makes a lot of sense. You don't want to spam too many ads on a social media network. I mean, I don't know. Facebook's right. doing it pretty well. Sorry. No worries. I mean, that's what I, mean. I do. I do think, like, yeah, you could probably ban ads off of this and you'll be fine. I mean, within reason. I mean, if you're going to make money more so off of, like, government and commercial licensing usage rather than advertising... I think that makes a lot more sense. And I don't think they would want to, you know, do constant abusive ads on the, their social network. Mm -hmm. And then also, take a look at this more, and that Elon Musk is already at risk of violating a key provision of his deal with Twitter as well. And according to SEC filing chaired by Twitter on Tuesday, Musk is permitted to issue tweets about the merger or the transactions co contemplated by hereby, so long as tweets do not disparage the company or any of its representatives. In other words, Musk can tweet all about, about the deal all he wants, but he can't de denigrate Twitter or its employees. And he mentioned how... On uh, Tuesday night, Musk replied to a tweet about an earlier political story that reported Twitter's top policy executive, Vihaya God, had cried during a meeting with the staff discussing Musk's buyout. Original tweet also noted God's role in Twitter's handling of the Hunter Biden laptop story in 2020 and spend the account of a major news organization for publishing a truthful story was obviously incredibly inappropriate. Musk responded. Must target God again, tweeting a meme based on her appearance in a 2019 episode of Joe Rogan's podcast. And you can see the tweet here. <laughs> and you can see, like, how it seems, based on what you're seeing, it's like you're picking on, it's Elon Musk seemingly picking on a someone notable in Twitter rather than just being silent because as I mentioned before he's very vocal on Twitter um yeah it's just I mean I, I, it's criticism you know, like it's it's criticism and, um, you know, uh, it's also sarcastic. I don't understand why it's such a, you know, controversial thing to make a joke about that, you know. I mean, unless it's like, uh, you know, hateful. I don't get it, you know. 
Yeah, and obviously, it just like he he technically not supposed to you know ridicule his employees, and here he is being extremely vocal about it, like nothing ever happened. Yeah, but, but going forward, we also have to deal with the fact that Musk told Banks he will rain Twitter pay, and then make money tweets sources, and apparently. So, yeah, Toll Banks, he'll rain in Twitter pay and make money from tweets. And this is from Reuters, which he said that Elon Musk told Banks that he agreed to help fund his $44 billion access to Twitter, that he could crack down executive and board pay at the social media company, and put to slash costs, and would develop new ways to monetize tweets. And Musk made the pitch to the lenders and tried to secure debt for the buyout data after spending his offer on Twitter to... On April 14th, his submission of bank commitments on April 21st were key to Twitter's board accepting his best and final offer. Musk had to commit the bank that Twitter produced enough cash flow to service the debt he sought. In the end, he clinched $13 billion in loans secured against Twitter and a $12.5 billion margin loan tied to his Tesla Inc. stock. He agreed to pay for the remainder of the consideration with his own cash. And you can see that essentially... Like he's, he mentions that like Bloomberg News report earlier that author that Musk specifically mentioned job cuts as part of this pitch to the banks. And this is all just showing that he's trying to find ways to grow revenue and try to pay off this, you know, debt he's going to gain for Twitter. Mm hmm. And he also mentioned that Musk said he wants to reduce Twitter's dependence on advertising for much of its revenue. So it seemed, it's about what I was thinking of earlier in the episode, where if we're going to charge for corporate and government use on Twitter, then hopefully there's a way you could reduce, he might not rely on advertising as much. Yeah. Um, But how do you monetize somebody's tweet, though? Like, without advertisements or a paywall of some sort, you know? Probably yeah, by I, maybe increased incentives to advertise on, you know, promote tweets on there, which, I don't know. It's kind of controversial, because it's like, it's like, you know how to get there, but how do you fund it? Yeah. I get that. Um, I mean, personally, I don't really. I mean, if you look at Twitter itself, there's always this like empty space. I swear, off to like the left, yeah, or maybe right. I think. Yeah. Uh, give me one second. Uh, no. But I don't know. It's. I'd assume that they'd find a way. That's uh... like he also mentions here for instance that Musk has tweeted about limiting the salaries of Twitter's board directors, which he could said could result in about three million dollars in cost savings, and also Twitter's stock-based compensation for the twelve months ending in December thirty-first, twenty twenty-one, with six hundred thirty million dollars, a thirty-three increase from that, and gross margin was also lower than Pierce's Meta's platform, Facebook, and and Pinterest, which was argued this leads plenty of space to run the company in a much more cost-efficient way. Mm. So essentially saying, not only is he trying to find ways to, you know, 
grow business revenue, but he's also trying to introduce new ways to make money out of tweets that contain important information or go viral. And he also mentioned he wants to bring up an idea include charging a fee when a third-party website wants to quote or embed a tweet from verified individuals or organizations. Which, speaking of which, you know how we have some of those websites and we were able to sh see those tweets on the website? Yeah, like the previous uh, one uh, yeah. where it embedded uh, per our, uh, the previous CEO and... Elon's tweets, and I think, uh, yeah, see how, um, or EV, I guess, whoever EV is. Yeah, so is what this is saying is that, hey, if you want to abuse these tweets from these noble people, oh, you have to, you have to pay up money. Which is such yeah. a weird idea. Like, think about how many, like, journalist sites or whatever rely on that. That might not be the best move. Because all you're doing is going to scare away a good chunk of people who want to do that. And mm -hmm. top of it too, you can just copy and paste all the content. Yeah. So. But uh, I'd assume that they could make it uh, much more. Uh, what is it? Like they'd make it a bit more convenient to do that. You know, yeah, but that's weird though, because they would have to constantly copy and paste tweets rather than. So there's ways to work around it, but it's just the fact that I think that's it's just a weird idea to think about. Yeah, and um, making it more convenient to just hit like embed tweet, you know, sort of thing. Um, but he also mentioned that he wants to reduce the rate of Twitter blue slashing its price, banning advertising, and giving an option to pay the cryptocurrency Dogecoin. So you can pay it in Dogecoin. Um. Okay, then. But that's beside the point. It seems like we get a better insight to how we want to finance it. Like yeah. Make, make pay back the banks. And on top of it, too, another thing worth noting is that we have this letter here from Europe, specifically the UK House of Commons, and he wants to meet up with, with you know, Elon Musk. And he say, and this is what the letter says, Dear Mr. Musk, invitation to speak to UK MPs following the Twitter acquisition. I chair the UK House of Commons Digital Culture, Media, and Sport select committee, a parliamentary cross-party group of MPs that investigates new developments and scrutinizes government policy making in these sectors. My committee has noted your proposed acquisition of Twitter and we are interested in the developments you propose. In particular, your attention to verification for all users echoes our calls to the UK government as part of proposed legislation, which we hope will restore UK's public trust in digital platforms. Our 2020 report on misinformation and the COVID infodemic call for greater transparency of bots and automated and spam accounts. Whilst our recent report on the UK's online safety bill discussed ways to balance civil liberties like freedom of expression with the need to tackle promiscuous, pervasive online child sexual exploitation and abuse. I therefore wish to take this opportunity to invite you to speak before our committee and discuss your proposals in more, more depth. I know you have expressed your wish that critics remain on Twitter and this may prevent 
an opportunity to address any critiques in the public. I look forward to hearing your thoughts and discussing your plans for the future of Twitter and community in the near future. It's from Julian Knight. And pretty much what this is saying is, according to what I can tell from this letter here, this is the United Kingdom literally asking him, hey, we seem to be, we're all for your ideas, but can you just help explain to us how you're going to tackle this stuff? Yeah, that's how I see it, too. It's just a discussion and nothing more just to uh, understand the, you know, the overall changes and in hopes that they'd comply with, you know, Britain law. Right, because notice how Elon, we're going to get back to more of this later, how like Elon Musk wants to make sure that his, the freedom of speech is something that, you know, complies with the law. He wants of to course. mimic whatever freedom of speech is, comply with the law. And this is just saying, okay, you have to make sure you account for what our country's needs are. Yeah, because it, it's one thing to, to uh, say something that's completely wrong, and it's another thing to say something completely wrong as a uh, trusted source, and that people actually believe that and don't realize you're either joking or are actually that completely serious about it. Yeah, it's... Right. I, I understand why they don't like that, and they make it um, they make it like a legal thing to always be uh not you know not saying that something causes this or that when it really does absolutely nothing like you remember that 5g phone conspiracy thing that was crazy yeah also um, too keep in mind that not in addition to another source of critics is the fact that on may 6th either musk and twitter were sued on friday by a florida pension fund seeking to stop musk from completing his 44 billion dollar takeover of the social media company before 2025. In a proposed class action filed in Delaware Chancery Court, the Orlando Police Pension Fund said Del Delaware law forbade a quick merger because Musk had agreements with other big Twitter shareholders, including his financial advisor, Morgan Stanley, and Twitter founder Jack Dorsey to support the buyout. The fund said those agreements made Musk, who owns 9.6% of Twitter, the effective owner of more than 15% of the company's shares. It said that requiring... It required delaying the merger by three years unless two-thirds of shares not owned by him granted approval. Morgan Stanley owns about 8.8% and Dorsey owned 2.4%. And yeah, this is obviously a pretty big deal. Definitely. Um, well, I'm I'm looking at this and I'm like, um, I mean, do you really hate it that bad <laughs> that you that you save Twitter from its cesspool? Apparently, that even though it it's already a cesspool, <laughs> right? And then on top of it too, we also have the fact that Elon Musk also hopes to quadruple Twitter users by 2028. And now this is a very lofty goal. 
And it says, among the biggest questions on people's minds since Elon Musk made his bid to buy Twitter is how the service might change under his ownership. We're still a long way off from the deal becoming official, but Musk nonetheless had to pitch investors on his division for the company to get the funding he needs. As so happens, well, the New York Times obtained a copy of a pitch deck for investors, which gave us an idea them an idea of the preposterous grand vision that Musk has for the company. And this is for starters, Musk wants to grow Twitter's monthly users from the 217 million that had at the end of 2021 to nearly 600 million in 2025 and 931 million years by 2028. Also, Musk wants to have 104 million paid subscribers for a service only referred to as X. And this, uh, apparently, this Musk has cryptically hinted at an ad-free paid Twitter experience. And apparently, speaking of paying for Twitter, Musk's pitch deck has a lot of details on some ambitious revenue goals as well. He believed that Twitter could quintuple its annual revenue from $26.4 billion by 2028 up to the approximately $5 billion the company made last year. And Musk wants to significantly diversify how Twitter makes money as well. Right now, advertising makes up about 90% of Twitter's revenue. Musk wants to cut that to about 45% by 2028. His forecast will include $12 billion in advertising revenue and $10 billion in subscription revenue. So obviously, it seems like he wants to push Twitter blue down. Harder. But. Yeah, but. Uh, so, did you say he wants to push it like, away or like. More. Bring it forward. Because it's saying he wants to reduce the percentage that he makes from that Twitter makes from advertising. So the only other thing you could do is really push Twitter blue. Yeah, that's pretty much how I see it is um, he could uh, give it more of a reason to uh, to own. Like, you know, when it comes to like, uh, I don't know, like YouTube, uh, you know, you can pay for YouTube premium. Or you just don't, and you have to deal with all the ads. Um, and uh, uh, I think a subscription service like that, you know, that's value. That's valuable because you don't have to worry about ads anymore. You're just loading, you know. Um, so I can see where he's coming at, but he needs to make it like that level of value. Right. When it comes to Twitter Blue. Right. Also, know? finally, Musk sees Twitter is making some moves in the payment space as well. He wants the company to bring in a modest $15 million in revenue from a payments business in 2023, that number growing to around $1.3 billion by 2028. It is currently Twitter offers very limited shopping and tipping features that the New York Times says makes no notable impact on the company's bottom line. So, now we could bring all the articles together in one space we can get some more details about many other things especially if we go back to elon musk's twitter which we have a couple things to say on that front i I especially want to get back to a certain point that was brought up earlier and that is if my web page would want to load
but whatever. Uh, I think we could give our thoughts while waiting for this to load, so let's go ahead and talk about this. What do we think of Elon Musk trying to buy, like, trying to buy Twitter? And his viewpoints on what he wants to do with Twitter. Okay, so um, for me, for me specifically, all right. So um, I you know I personally, I like the idea of uh, like in a sense neutralizing uh, you know the uh, making it not apolitical, but making sure that. Uh, the uh, politics stay very neutral, very like, okay, that's, you know, I don't really care, but, or I don't really believe in that stuff, but we could still be friends sort of stuff, like, you know, that sort of stuff. Um, and the plans to make it, uh, well, one thing about, you know, the uh, advertisement thing, um, I feel like if he were to uh, do something like that and just make it very more f focused on uh, Twitter Blue and stuff, uh, I, I understand that. Um, uh, I think that would be okay, but he'd have to make sure it's at, it has some value, of course. Uh, as far as like uh, the idea of enforcing a... Uh, let's say like enforcing a sort of like uh company and government has to pay up sort of thing i can agree with that because uh, a lot of uh a lot of like uh subscription services like you know with a unity uh unity has a thing where they um you know if you make a certain amount of money from you know if you just make it or if, if your game actually sells well or your project sells well and your revenue all of a sudden shoots up then you have to make sure that you purchase a you know the uh, developer subscription and such um i also know that like free tears from many other things if you you know if you make a certain amount of money they force you to buy a higher tier subscription because uh, I guess, you know, they would have to, you know, you're making money off of their stuff and they're not getting anything from it. So I can see where that's coming from. And the, um, the fact that social media, in my opinion, at least is really, I feel like for a lot of people, it's the, uh, it's a, it's a factor in their opinions and stuff. And it's a factor in what they consume and stuff because you kind of just block off whatever you don't like and you just watch what you like sort of stuff or you read about what you like. Uh, you never really get to see other sides. Um, I feel like the, the control that some companies have, they can really sway you one way or another. So I, I do like that with Elon's sort of like central sort of political view not very central but you know what i mean um it's more um it'd be uh it'd be a great way to capitalize on that in a sense at least for me i you know like capitalizing on people uh you know companies using uh his 
you know, service in a sense, you know, to push advertisements or influencing. Um, I would also um, create a paywall for any sort of company in a sense, you know? Right. They'd be forced to, you know, they'd be paywalled and then they can, I don't know, then they can choose uh, just how efficiently they run their tweets. Like, uh, every tweet costs, like, I don't know, some odd amount of money for the company. That's not very significant, but if you start tweeting stupid shit, like, what if we kissed on top of the Wendy's VR uh, roof? Then, uh, yeah, obviously, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Wendy's. But if you tweeted that, then Wendy's would have to take a cut out of their revenue and give it to Twitter because of that one tweet. And every time you tweet, it and it advertises your brand, you know, something like that. I, I can see how that would work. Um, second. Yeah, but while we get to that, I mean... Let's bring up some of the other key points. There's two key points I said we wanted to come back to that I really want to get to. The first of which is that Twitter DM should have end-to-end encryption. Two, yes. I, I was surprised when I just heard that. I was like, that's that's a no-brainer. What? I can't believe that that's not a thing. <laughs> yeah. It is quite a, an interesting thing to bring up. And another thing, yeah, and... Obviously, having security for your message, which would be a big deal, I would think. Mm -hmm. And another thing I think we should bring up, too, is open sourcing the algorithm and what that its implications could mean. That could very well allow way better access to making better bot scripts and stuff like that. And in a good way, you know, and uh, making sure that uh, you can tweak it as you need nest you know necessary you know as as necessary i mean uh like i think in um i think discord does that actually like you can make your own bot in a sense and and like you can just use open source code and you can make it do a lot of things and what's second capitalize on what features it, it has um so uh yes we can do that that's fine um hopefully the bot check mark you know stays there so we know um but uh yeah uh i, I like the idea of that as well um what, what about you i mean like, yeah i mean open sourcing the algorithm you know, could lead to some interesting tweaks. Like, yeah, there could be some bad things, like, you know, how to abuse the algorithm in a way that, you know, could potentially lead to some really interesting, like, really bizarre tweets getting pushed up the algorithm and knowing how to capitalize. Yeah, I mean, I'd assume that Elon would be a bit smarter than that, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know. Hopefully so. And seeing, like, you know, obviously, I am, I actually support the changes that he wants to make, like, at least his vision. How well it's going to get executed is beyond my comprehension. All Certainly. We can, all we know is what his ideas are and how I am in support of this idea. 
the f hope hopefully he can figure out how to end the echo chambers is something that I would really like to see. Yeah. Yeah, while also making sure that people are less serious about everything if it's, you know, um, when it comes to, like, you know, uh, people's views on stuff, you know, not being offended by stuff, you know, making it a much more open to your opinion sort of thing and learning to coexist. Exactly. I'd like to push for that sort of mentality as well, you know, mm -hmm. instead of just this is the ideology we support, so there you go. And um, one other thing, too, is that I think the one best way to end it off is that if free speech, as he mentioned, exists, it means that this can thrive and not get booted off. When I said use a rubber, I didn't mean that. <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is how we end off Twitter because I we have a lot more topics to say on the, for the, these last two weeks. Yeah. Um, Such as how <sighs> internet providers actually end the lawsuit against California on its net neutrality law. Which, that's very good for the player. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, so... So, um... Yeah, so the thing about net neutrality is, uh... It's basically... It allows ISPs to discriminate what contents you're you know, transmitting and, you know, uh, receiving, you know, um, what, what the lack of it, I mean, sorry, excuse me, the lack of net neutrality, uh, they can't discriminate if you have net neutrality. And this is something I think, uh, I, you know, um, net neutrality is something I support because companies shouldn't have anything to do with, with you know, you should be able to pay for their service and then that's it. They don't have to, they shouldn't have to screw with you. You know, you're already paying them. Well, not only that, but you're getting, you know, you're not getting the same speed in certain areas. You, I mean, certain content could be blocked and everything. All, so you have paid tiers for certain content, which is not fun. Kind of like how cable is. Yeah, and, certainly. Um, then I forgot what his name was, but, uh, I remember, I remember actually sending a letter to a Senator at one point, And I was actually very, uh, afraid because I didn't know exactly what would happen after it. It'd just be like pre, you know, pre 2008, you know, internet, but it could also mean much more. Of course, and let's get to the article here, and this is on May 4th, which the U.S. broadband industry ended late on Wednesday. It's legal challenge to California's landmark net neutrality law, which seeks to protect the open internet. A group of industry associations that represent major internet providers such as AT&T Inc., Verizon Communications, Comcast Corp., and others dismissed their 2018 legal challenge. The ninth U.S. Court of Appeals had last 
month refused to reconsider a ruling upholding the 2018 state law, which bars internet service providers for blocking or throttling traffic or other offering paid fast lanes. And they mentioned how following multiple defeats in court, internet service providers have abandoned this effort to block enforcement of California's net neutrality law. The industry associations had challenged the law in a joint statement. And yeah, this is truly good for the player. And honestly, from what I could tell here, I mean, this is this is at least good news for those living in California. I mean, being able to not have fast lanes or throttling or anything like that, that's going to be a big win. Yeah, definitely. Like, I have not much else to say on this other than this is just a big win in general for the protection of internet rights. Yeah, I remember that the, uh, the, uh, creators of the world wide web they uh, uh the they actually opposed it because they feel like the internet should be free you know information wants to be free sort of stuff so right yeah i i like this of course me too but we also have something else that's on the line in terms of the united kingdom and that this big tech regulation regulator that's being introduced in the nation. What is this? And what it is is that just over a year after launching a dedicated unit focused on digital markets inside the National Competition Watchdog, the United Kingdom government has put some meat on the bones. Its new big tech regulator will focus on including confirming it will have the ability to levy fines of up to 10% of global annual turnover if platform giants fail to comply with tailored codes of conduct. And also, however, the government still hasn't confirmed exactly when it expects to legislate to empower the digital markets unit, saying that it will introduce legislation to put it in a statutory footing in due course. I responded to late yesterday to on a new pro-competition regime for digital markets, which it launched last year. The Department for Digital Culture, Media, and Sport said that incoming fair play rules for big tech, which government says are needed to make digital markets more open and competitive, will make it easier for UK consumers to switch between Android and iOS, between social media accounts without losing their data, and to have more control over their data, such as by opting out personalized advertising. DCMS also wants the regime to ensure smartphone users have more choice over which search engine and messaging apps they use. So the DMU looks to set to target the preloading and bundling practices of giants like Apple and Google, boosting competition by setting up rules of the road for platform giants so they can deal fairly with business customers is another core aim for the reform. And they and they hope that this will support small businesses and startups. And according to the UK, they're saying that tens of thousands of small and medium-sized businesses will get a better deal from the big tech firms, which they rely on to trade online. Tech firms could need to warn smaller firms about changes to their algorithms, which drive traffic and revenues, the department said in a press release, highlighting the example of changes to search engine algorithms that could steer traffic away from certain sites and businesses, which could have a negative effect on revenue. So... This let this part right here could potentially affect things like YouTube. 
in the United Kingdom, where if they make any changes to the algorithm, they have to be notified. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's really good, actually. Exactly. Because, um, because like if that's the case, then you know with YouTube, because they comply with other laws, you know, uh, from abroad, even though they're, you know, even though it's, uh, you know, based in California, um, uh, they might very well have to, you know, comply with, uh, you know, the idea of uh, making sure that you disclose algorithmic changes and stuff i like that because um the, you know the youtube algorithm nobody knows i swear nobody knows how to use the algorithm because it's always ever changing you know as soon as a piece of it's it's not even if somebody tweaks a one or a zero it's if somebody posts posts a piece of content that changes how the algorithm works you know, it's like wrong place, wrong time, or right place, wrong time, or any variation of those four, you know, or those that those two uh, variables, you know. Um, so it's like, um, you, you know, um, it's a it's a little bit complicated, even if nothing's actually even been tweaked. So adding little things to it every once in a while and ever ever evolving um it's very difficult to you know beat the algorithm source so this would be pretty cool for um understanding youtube a bit more you know i know um i, I do a lot of like uh I, I watch a lot of tech channels or and a lot of uh um, grow your YouTube channel sort of channels so I think they would also benefit from this like and I we as a person would you know as people as content creators would benefit you know we'd be able to understand how to use it much more efficiently the only thing I'm afraid of is it just slowly saturating to the point where everyone already knows how to beat it and it just it's just back to square one where where the top end you know, have much more uh, resources to beat it faster than smaller content creators and such. Right, and well, I feel like this is going to be mostly more effective to, like, say, like, online businesses, per se, like, on, like, Facebook or Twitter. I feel like this definitely would affect YouTube. At least if yeah, you're in the UK. Fine. Yeah, or if they decide oh yeah you, you know that little island uh, or you know little island that ran away from europe yeah uh we're not gonna we're not gonna deal with them <laughs> you know in that case if you if yeah if google decides to you know abandon their products over a year that could be uh, at least not europe the united kingdom that could be very bad for them but i don't think that's gonna likely happen i think they will have to comply with their regulation and or maybe i would think they would make it a uk exclusive thing but who knows? Meanwhile, um, the MCS also mentioned said, oh, the DCMS also said the incoming measures will make sure news publishers are able to monetize the news on uh, their online news content 
and be paid fairly for it. Like, kind of like what happened with Australia. And also, there's a couple other things it mentions today, such as, before any code put into place, further analysis of concerns and consult consultation with the parties will need to be undertaken through a part participative approach. However, our analysis so far showed there's an imbalance of bargaining power between platforms and publishers, which affect the publisher's ability to negotiate terms, and that this imbalance could be addressed through a code. And also, app developers will also be able to sell their apps on fair and more transparent terms. And yeah, just a multiple per se on a lot of the things that, you know, that has been said, you know, again and again. But yeah. Um, you have any thoughts on this? Um, nothing more, really. Um, UK is doing its thing. I hope it, you know, I hope this passes and such. Just because uh, I feel like, uh, I feel like I, it would be beneficial, you know, for YouTube stuff and with companies. A little bit of transparency is always nice, I guess. <laughs> then again, they're companies. Of yeah, keep in mind, apparently, Germany is already doing stuff similar to this. Oh, I see. Okay. So, because later in the article, it mentions how the DME started work in the shadow form in April last year ahead of anticipated pro competition reform and oversight of tech firms, which the government said it will introduce to regulate the most powerful platforms, following similar moves elsewhere in Europe. Germany, the leading pack, having already this year designated Google and Facebook slash Meta as subject to its reformed competition regime for the most powerful tech giants after its updated domestic competition law at the start of 2021, meaning its federal cartel office is empowered to intervene more quickly to address problems linked to big tech's market dominance. Okay. I mean, but still, I mean, if this, if some of this stuff could at least get traveled to the United States, I mean, this will be kind of nice too, but honestly, I mean, this is still really good for the United Kingdom and I don't blame at least on the on first surface glance seem good for the UK. I mean, we don't know how detrimental this could be for bringing some features over to the United Kingdom or whatever, but as far as I can tell, this seems to be pretty good for the United Kingdom. Yeah, I'd also love to see the long-term effects and such, you know. Right. As with anything, you know. <laughs> of course. Another quick thing worth mentioning in the world of tech is the fact that Microsoft Edge is getting a VPN built into this into the web browser. Whoa. VPN? Oh my god. <laughs> now, this article comes to us from The Verge, and it mentions how Microsoft adding a free built-in VPN to its Edge browser. And it's going to roll out as part of a security upgrade. And it says, Microsoft adding a free built-in virtual private network service to its Edge browser in a bid to improve security and privacy called Edge Secure Network. Microsoft is currently testing the Cloudflare Power VPN service and says it will roll it out to the public as part of a security upgrade. When turned on, Edge Secure Network should encrypt users' web traffic so internet service providers can't collect browsing information you'd rather keep private, like, say, health-related searches or just plain bizarre queries. Jeez, I know of a couple. 
Yeah, I know of a couple. I accidentally forgot to put on an incognito mode, and then I was like, wait, did I really search that? <laughs> Anyways. Right. There's, um, but however, while it is free, there's a catch. The data use is limited to one gigabyte per month, and users will need to be signed to a Microsoft account so the company can, well, ironically track their usage. That's fucking depressing. Um, yeah, imagine being sold, uh, you're not really sold, but imagine being told that, oh, hey, it's free VPN, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, one gigabyte, and we're just going to make sure that you're using it um, up to that point, and that's it. We're, we're also tracking your usage, so, uh, lol, uh, <laughs> let's uh, sell your data back to your own ISP, get fucked, loser. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, I swear, that's probably what's going to happen. Yeah, and keep in mind that Microsoft is one of the many browsers that offer some kind of VPN service. Opera come with a free one as well, but more popular browsers like Mozilla's only offer, but Mozilla only offer a paid VPN service as does Chrome. And this is actually this should potentially help improve the value proposition. But the article does give you some steps to how to set it up if it once it becomes available. But this is still a step in the right direction for Edge. I feel. It's a stepping stone. It's not perfect. I mean, it's not like you're getting a free VPN, which would be amazing. Like a full free one that gets like 50 to 100 gigabytes of data. That'd be huge. But I don't think... Like, you probably... What will probably have to happen is that you'd want to make sure this is enabled first and then disable it after you don't think you'll need it. Yeah, so treat it like data where it's sacred. Exactly. That's fine. That's exactly only use it on the go when you absolutely need it. Or if you want to listen to music, I guess, like put on 144p, I guess. Yeah, definitely don't use it for Netflix. I'm just going to say that right now. This is not a Netflix thing. Nope. Even though that'd be pretty cool to like watch like a 720p movie. I don't know. Yeah, like you get one month. Like. Because I hear that some of the main benefits of Netflix in other countries, they offer like different shows and everything like that. But you mm -hmm. can't really do that with such a low amount of like memory that they offer for for this. Yeah, I see. I see. Uh, well, that's all fun, I guess. I mean, yeah, but then again, we also have to deal with. New CPUs from AMD as well for laptops. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, uh, gaming laptop. This looks pretty cool. I'm glad it has airflow. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this one, this is a, I think, I forgot what laptop this is, but this is one of those, like, super extreme gaming laptops that are super extra thick, and they have, like, mechanical keyboards built right into them. It's pretty cool. Yeah, they're they're usually very expensive. But back to the main thing here. AMD promises extreme gaming laptops in 2023 with a Dragon Range CPU. And you can see what they offer here that apparently until yeah, in 2020 AMD won the gaming laptop for the first time until the Asus Zephyrus G14. And they said they've never seen a laptop with an AMD CPU and an AMD GPU run circles about the competition. 
And, but now AMD is setting its sights higher than mid-range gaming machines. It just revealed it's building a new CPU in the pinnacle game forms with the highest core threat in cache ever. The new CPU lot is codenamed Dragon Range, and they'll live exclusively at 55 watts TDP and up. Enough power that they'll largely exist in the space where gaming laptops are plugged in the majority of the time. And the parallel slide above shows they're aimed at laptops that are at least 20 millimeters or 0.78 inches thick, while the 35 to 45 watt Phoenix line are aimed at machines thinner than the same mark. Both are part of the same Ryzen 7000 series based on the same Zen 4 architecture. And unfortunately, it appears both will arrive until 2023. With Zen 4 beginning its life as the desktop exclusive Raphael later this year. I hope they don't start naming them after the the turtles. <laughs> right. AMD says that Dragon Rage will take up the HX suffix for CPUs, a tier above the Ryzen 9 4900HS that impressed that that's used in the Asus Zephyrus, which I believe is what the laptop was at the beginning of the article was. But they say, but hinted that we shouldn't take the higher GDP as a sign that they'll totally be ditching power efficient for performance. They're estimated to be notably more power efficient than other laptops in that competing time frame. I don't know how to feel about that because we've been moving towards like very high watt like graphics cards and such. I hope that that's just like a phase. <laughs> Well, keep in mind, power efficiency is actually more important in the laptops than it is on desktops. Oh, yeah, of course. I'm just saying, like, it, it's it's not a phase. It's not a phase, Mom. <laughs> Two-stage power phase. <laughs> and then it's fucking bursting into flames, and the fan sounds like a goddamn jet. Like, I, I'm, I'm afraid to see. I'm afraid to see if they... I'm just, I don't know. It it feels weird with the 3090 being the 3090 and TI. And I mean, the 69,000 is pretty uh, nice power efficiency. But, um, God, I don't know. You know, I'm hoping that when it comes to AMD, they don't like totally give up when it comes to that. You know? Yeah. Also, a minor thing, too, it does mention here that AMD also told journalists that day that starting next quarter, it will break out gaming into its own financial segment with revenue from semi-custom parts like PlayStation, Xbox, and Steam Deck chips joining desktop and laptop radio graphics, all part of a single gaming business. So maybe something minor to keep in mind. But besides that, like, what do you think of these new CPUs from what we've been told? We haven't gotten much specs other than power draw. But these seem like they're going to be very potent and very strong ch chips for laptops. Um, I mean, I'm hopeful. I don't really do laptops as much. I know, I know when it comes to laptops and uh, gaming laptops specifically is that... Ooh, you really got to make sure that you buy one that is designed with uh, making sure it doesn't crash and burn or thermal throttle way too much. 
you know? Yeah. Uh, because, like, uh, gaming laptops have always had this notorious thing where, like, you have to undervolt them. You have to not push it to its absolute limit or, you know, you got to try to, uh, you know, not... Uh, yeah, it's, it's like, there's a point where, like, it 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 comes to the designer and if the designer fails then the product fails you know yeah and obviously you know i like i said like i do think this is gonna be good for laptops i mean it's i mean this thing is not gonna be a match for this is a cheap laptop i ran found out of walmart because well let's just face it i it was something i saw as an impulse buy for 200 bucks but it contained a ryzen 7 Right, so it was decent for what it was. He's lying. It's his new thing. It's his new favorite computer. I mean, right now these two are about equal, but once this battle station here gets to be upgraded to however high power I could get for this thing, oh my god, then that's going to be my new favorite computer. Uh, he's lying. He loves being able to uh, multitask. He can, uh, he can do this recording while also showing me terrible Rule Thirty Four things. He's hey. gonna do it. Oh shit! Look at this sussy baka. Look at this motherfucker. <laughs> I mean, this... who did just ask for it? So no, again. I didn't. I just said. Ah! Evidence that Flip Alpaca <laughs> Evidence that Flip Alpaca had sex with Felix from RE Zero back when we were talking about the PlayStation Direct in that one episode. This is why mom doesn't fucking love you. <laughs> hey, my mom's always down in Tennessee, so I'll explain that one. Anyways. I know a girl who lives in Tennessee. Sorry. Anyways, um, we have to get on to our next story here because we have to deal with the fact that Epic asked the court to stop Google's removal of Bandcamp from the Play Store. What? And we're going to start off with the first one, which, according to Bandcamp, you know... That's what they say here. That since 2015, artists and labels have used Bandcamp's Android app to sell music and merchandise directly to their fans. And we have used our own billing system to process payments consistent with Google's guidelines, which specifically exempted digital music from incurring a revenue share. However, Google is now modifying its rules to require Bandcamp, other apps like it, to exclusively use Google Play's billing for payments for digital goods and services and pay a revenue share to Google. If Google's policy changes stand beginning on June 1st, we would have to either pass Google's feet on to consumers, making Android less attractive platform for music fans, pass fee on to artists, which we will never do, permanently run our Android business at a loss, or turn off digital sales in the Android app. Furthermore, that policy change would impact our ability to pay artists quickly instead of receiving payment after 24 to 40 hours. Artists may not be paid until... 15 to 45 days after a sale. And Bandcamp mission to help spread the power of music, but yeah. So 
We can skip the beating part, but it says, we believe it's imperative for fans to be able to express that critical support on Android, and so to stop Google from implementing these new policies for Bandcamp and other developers, Epic is filing a motion to seek a court injunction allow Bandcamp to continue operating as we have. And you could apparently read the filing in the declaration with these two links here. And if you look at the next article here, I think it says the same stuff as this first one, as the main letter from Bandcamp itself. Yeah, it just goes into detail a bit more about the epic, uh, you know, uh, thing. Yeah. However, it's uh, uh, it's more based around that. It's, um, Yeah, and you know, we can see um, from their up from Engadget's update on 429, Google told Engadget it rejects Epic's argument that Bandcamp would only have to pay a 10% fee. And the statement they said is, this is yet another meritless claim by Epic, which is now using its newly acquired app, Bandcamp, to continue its effort to avoid paying for the value that Google Play provides. We've been transparent about Play's payment policy for more than 18 months. As Epic knows, Bandcamp is eligible for a service fee of just 10% through Play's media experience program far less than the fees they charge on their own platforms. Despite their claims, Android's openness means that Bandcamp has multiple ways of streaming the app to Android users, including through other app stores, directly to use via their website or as a consumption-only app as they do on iOS. Wow. Okay, so... Clearly, Google really is on the verge of hating Epic right now, and I'll blame Bandcamp for mentioning what they've said. Because now yeah. it's like they're being put in this umbrella term as just because they're part of Epic. Yeah. Um, this seems imperialistic. I don't know. It, it seems like Epic's tr trudging on territory. Yeah, and even the, again, Argo also mentioned that Epic also maintains that it's likely to make prevalence antitrust cake. Yeah, they meanwhile, Google meanwhile reportedly faced no harm if the existing Play Store policies remain in place. But yeah, like, I mean, who would I side with on this? I mean, honestly, I feel like I would side with, I mean, even though it's obligatory, I feel like I honestly have to kind of. I mean, depending on how impactful these fees actually are to the creators, largely is yet to be determined, but I do feel like if this is actually impacting creators of music that utilize Bandcamp to distribute music, I definitely have to side with Bandcamp on this one. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, like, Bandcamp itself, like, they're under the mercy of Epic, in a sense, you know? Yeah. Because they're now owned by them but um i you know um i only side with like uh i only side with google a little bit because they seem to be very defensive and i really wonder why so i want to know what their side is like besides oh it's not as bad as it seems sort of stuff um because obviously they can't just lie like that but um i wonder about the claim that says um you know, far less than the fees they charge on their own platforms. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a little bit like, is Epic just making a baseless claim? I mean, I, I know it says 
this is yet another meritless claim, but by Epic, but it's like, I don't know, I just feel bad. Um, I mean, I would just deal with the fees, I guess, and just make an, the Android app less, uh, you know, if it's really that much of a problem, but they're saying it's not, you know, Google is saying it's not. Uh, yeah, just go ahead and just allow the fees for, like, for, you know, the buyers and, but, you know, make sure that it's more obvious that it's, you'll get a better, uh, value from just buying from them directly, you know? Oh, absolutely. Because there's always that, there's always that sort of thing is like, if you buy from an outside source or, uh, third, you know, uh, you know, a middleman in a sense, usually there's a fee for having that middleman. Of course, I hear you on that one. But, I mean, we also have another issue at hand, and that involves the NFT market, which actually collapsed this week. And this was just as another company wanted to use a certain acquisition to fuel the efforts in this market. slowly rub my hands together with this very evil grin. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the NFT collapses just as Square Enix sells two million a bit get big on blockchain. And apparently, you know what no one else could have ever predicted? That market based on imaginary ownership of infinitely duplicate JPEG images might not be an endgame long-term sustainable. <laughs> As Wall Street yeah, Journal um, reports, the NFT market is flatlining down 92% from last September, which makes it just the most incredible time for Japanese publisher Square Enix aiming for properties like Final Pass to get itself the most of their Western-facing IPs and students to gamble on the batshit scheme. I'm sorry, but the way they, whoever worded this, this is actually comedy gold. I, I, no, I, I get it. This is like... I don't know. This is like uh, this is a certain meme. I forgot what it was. I think it was directed by Robert B. Wade or something like that. Like it's literally that meme. Um, as soon as they, like it's curb your enthusiasm. Sorry, please, car. <laughs> um, it's literally like as soon as they do it, immediately here, bum bum You know, as soon as they see that, you know market has crashed and they're like we're, we're selling all of our studios just so you know we can make we can save a bit more money and invest in imagination yeah and you can just read the rest of this article apparently this is like a complete very negative viewpoint on this whole subject but it just looks like comedy goal I'm just reading something like look at this unfortunately a lot of these clapping idiots wear expensive suits and talk loudly in boardrooms as with every other aspect of the scam fest that is web 3.0 business have been desperately scrambling to profit before the whole illusion blows away on a breeze <laughs> That first side of that paragraph. You know, 
nobody's gonna say I told you so, but Square Enix I told you so. <laughs> and on top of it too, like you can see that the pairing before FFT feel like the most extraordinarily precise emblem of the 2020s. It's all a glaringly obvious pile of bullshit. Companies are literally selling a line of code or what they call a blockchain to repackage the extremely old idea of digital asset ownership at the next big investment you should get in on now while the going is good. You have been able to own things like video game skins for a long time, of course. Somehow, though, many companies are putting a lot of effort into pretending that you can now own a picture and then pretending that in doing so, the picture somehow becomes imbued with inherent worth, all giving life by enough idiots clapping their hands and shouting how they believe it varies. <laughs> You know, it's, oh, God. you know, if only, if only the connotations, if only NFTs weren't ruined by, hey, let's sell a fucking JPEG that, you know, um, is, exists because of a web link, you know, let's, Let's link a website to a JPEG and make tons of money off of it. And these people think they actually own it. Like, like this really brings me back to the same old arguments. NFTs are marrying your wife, but also allowing other people to, you know, do her as well. Because anybody can save a JPEG, but you own the marriage deed, so you're actually just the what? You're actually just the husband, right? Yeah, well, yeah. Also, look at this too. NFTs are QAnon if it were stock. If believing that in a flat Earth could be bought and sold, they depend on the belief in their own existence to exist, requiring faith and religious notions of worthiness in order to flourish. As the planet hits the financial consequences of the last two years. It appears such faith is not easily found. Wow. <laughs> that, that's... That's actually quite accurate. Um, in, in, like, a really, like, offensive way. But I don't really care, because, you know. Uh, <laughs> like, this article to me is somehow comedy gold, but yet it informs on the issues of what's going on here. It's a 92% drop and this guy just goes completely ham on us this was me when i was like just discovering what an nft was and now i still have that same energy hidden away but i'm letting myself be like okay maybe but if you're telling me that i can escape my actual current reality and be stuck on a feeder tube for like my entire consciousness and just live in the metaverse. That's great, but there's eventually going to be a time when the universe ends. So I'm not actually going to live forever. Right. And that John Walker, this article is just comedy gold. Like, good job reporting on this, but this article is just comedy gold. Your wording on this article is beautiful.
And I would love to uh, purchase this bridge that looks like a stock crash. <laughs> because it is the only NFT that I would buy because that would be my sanity if that were true. Right, I hear you on that one. However, no, I'm... it's the perfect, it's the perfect art form. <laughs> Me buying an NFT, the NFT is a stock crashing down. That also represents the tangibility of my perception and awareness and consciousness. And now, I realize just how fucking stupid I am. And now I go insane, and I'm stuck in a, um, uh. I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll like. Hopefully, I fall into my own bubble, and then like I become an NFT. Right. Whoa. whoa. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. However, we also deal with another fact that this art. There's another article of this issue out here that kind of takes a different approach to the whole thing. Is that despite the news of a decline, it's not dampening the excitement of some tech and game companies to plan to what's coming next. Game developer publisher, I'll see you. Know, we all to know that. While Meta also announced Sorry. it will integrate blockchain as Ethereum, Polygon, Solana, and flow into onto Instagrams, and users won't be charged. And if we scroll down, it says. So that NFT crash news, the downturn as reported by crypto data site non-fungible shows a transaction volume decrease of 47% in quarter one of this year compared to the previous quarter. Sorry to bore you with the figures, but this is ultimately a sign that reality is bearing down on a tech and market that has been heavily that has been heavy on hype and short of use for some time. But the idea that NFTs are over is likely an overstated belief. For example, the Moonbirds NFT product added 500 million dollars worth of trading volume, while a Solana blockchain saw a 91% month-on-month increase, recording nearly $300 million in NFT tra- trading. The recent launch of Yuga Club's new Other Deeds NFT, a virtual land sale for a forthcoming video game, crashed the Ethereum blockchain as it was in such high demand, even though the floor price was $5,500 or 5,000 euros. The pull of blue chip NFT brands remains high, and people are prepared to spend big to get a piece of what could come next. Yet, overall NFT trading is slowing at a macro level, and for many artists invested in NFT space, this can't come soon enough. And they want us to read an interview with VFX supervisor Lolly Mack who believes NFTs need a reset so new uses, experimentation, and entrepreneurial ideas can bring together better value and bring democratization to this digital tech, which, thank you! Who's this Bilali Mac? I 100% agree with this line right here. Thank you. Thank you. They need to be uh, revised because the, the current implementation, as we've said before, is not worth it's not worth existing it needs to be revamped to a point where it actually means something tangible you know like serializing a digital game market use game market sort of stuff like that like you've mentioned before any way to serialize a a digital asset and 
have it be a tr trustworthy, you know, I guess in a sense, or if that's a word. Um, you know, just anyway, you know, like that would make it less of what seems like a Ponzi scheme. Right, and this article also brings us to the point that this could be similar to the dot-com collapse of the late 90s. NFTs are at the end of one curve and the start of another. As it moved from profile picture NFTs to ones with use, and this new boom could be one that really sees the tech emerge as something interesting, which, yes, if this is true, I hope this is, because, yeah, we can weed out all the other ugly bullcrap NFTs and make it actually useful. Without a doubt, yeah. They say how the new future entities should see the tech break free from cryptocurrency ups and downs and enable more people used to using fiat currency to engage. We should see more utility entities, ones that have genuine uses as well as artistic merit. And likely I divergence from Ethereum to more stable environmental and economic blockchains such as Solana, Wax, and Flow. And to say how a crash is expected, however, it may be here now or it could be a year away. It's not the first time we asked our NFTs are over. What comes next really define what NFTs are and how they are used. Especially by RC creators. The hype looks like it's coming to an end and mainly the NFT space should welcome it. As what's next could generally be interesting. And I think, you know, I agree with the second article here. It's exciting to see this crash happen, and I hope that the NFT market can rebuild to something much more useful. Yeah, I hope so too. I hope it's a uh, uh, a, a way to um, realize that this technology that we're using is not, you know, NFTs and the blockchain stuff. You know, it's. Personally, right now, it, it has no merit to it to me. It has no value. It just has value because other people say. Um, and it's, you know, it's uh, just, I don't know. I feel like uh, they're, uh, you know, it's like uh, putting all your money into a blind bet sort of thing, but times 10 because you already know that it's, uh, you know, in a sense, what seems like a scam, you know, I don't really think NFTs are bad inherently. I know that there's like an environmental impact thing. That's always something that I keep in mind. I am a tree hugger. Um, but I feel like if, if they were more efficient, you know, uh, environmentally too, as well as being uh, used in a more, uh, a sensible way than just fake land when you could actually just go out and buy real land that's worth way much more or you know buying images when you could really just buy copyright to an image and use it or create or cut or create an asset and copyright it like there's a bold difference between nft and buying, you know, digital land or an image and actually creating it and copying that idea and buying actual land out there. It's like when, you know, it's all said and done, it's worth more, you know, 
obviously in short term NFTs, but you know, uh, in the long term, a land could be pretty expensive. Lands not getting cheaper. Of course, yeah, that's a big thing though. It's just the fact that I th- I personally think that it's great and glorious to see the first article's reaction of the end of the current era of NFTs. What seems to be, holy fucking Yuya, if that's the case. But this new era, I hope it just comes to, if this is a new era, something that could be much more useful. Like preservation of digital games, or even like preserving actual works of like historical art. Yeah. Yeah. I don't get me wrong. Artists should be able to freely create art and monetize it. That makes sense to me. Certainly, but um, there's a better way, I feel. Yeah. You know. That art could ju- can just be more than profile pictures, more than just boring images. It needs to diversify to something else. Yeah. It's like, like having a deed to a house, but a tangible house, in a sense, you know? Yeah. I don't get wrong. Having digital assets such as worlds and the metaverse and all that stuff could be interesting if it develops properly. But that's the thing. It needs to develop more properly. Without a doubt. Certainly. Right now, the course of the metaverse just needs to be, at least in terms of the crypto, not crypto, but, you know, NFTs, they just need to develop more into neater and cooler uses. And I hope that this crash can start leading to those night really cool uses for the technology. Certainly. I hope that it shines a light on it, you know. Of course. But we um, also have to deal potential. with the fact that another company is also dealing with some fines, supposedly, for crypto buying disclosures. And that is NVIDIA. How the SEC is saying that NVIDIA misled investors about just how much crypto mining demand was boosting its gaming business. And that NVIDIA will pay a $5.5 million fine to settle Security Exchange Commission charges that it failed to adequately disclose how much of its game business sales were actually related to crypto mining. According to the SEC, NVIDIA failed to state in a pair of quarterly reports for its 2018 fiscal year that sales related to crypto mining accounted for a significant part of the jump in demand for its graphics processing units, which were originally designed and marketed for gaming. As part of the settlement with the SEC, NVIDIA didn't admit or deny the findings. The company didn't immediately return an email from CNET seeking comment. And yeah, like, although NVIDIA did things like reducing the, having the hash rate of graphic card models, and which they tried to make it less, you know, crypto oriented and also launched a new products that are optimized for mining. Yeah, the CMP franchise, uh, not franchise, a uh, series of graphics cards. Yeah, like this is showing to me at least that it seems like whatever they were doing with these graphics cards, even if they were with the crypto dedicated ones are being put into the their financial records as gaming cards yeah and 
sense, not disclosing that they can also be used for much, much wider purposes. And of course, every gaming card can probably also edit a video and I can do this and that. I mean, some of it's CPU, some of it's GPU. But um, generally, when you buy a graphics card, you're buying it for the raw horsepower of pushing frames, I guess. You know, right. or just being complacent with it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, as you can see in the article here, even says that the how the SEC also says information and video did give out the growth of its game business was misleading, given that the company did make statements about how other parts of its business were driven by demand for crypto mining. That created a perception that its game business was significantly affected by crypto mining, SEC says. So, yeah, I mean, no, like this is a big deal. Uh, I mean, it, I mean, it's a relatively minor in the grand scheme of things. But it at least is a pretty significant deal to know that certain companies like NVIDIA are just capitalizing on crypto when they're falsely advertising that they're not. Or at least falsely advertising that part of their business is, you know, not, you know, is being affected by this more than it actually was. Yeah, I remember um, watching us few videos on some tech youtubers and they were saying how the 3090 and the 3090 ti although they're listed as you know gaming graphics cards that like what nine percent five percent difference depending on where you slice like that nine percent difference for how many frames it pushes at this amount of you know resolution and such and uh settings it's really just uh, a titan disguised as a geforce model you know mm. like the uh, the rtx 30 series is supposed to be for gaming but honestly it's a waste of money to buy a 3090 if you already have a 3080, if you're planning on using it for gaming, it has way, way better purposes in rendering. You know, the, the amount of VRAM that it has is obvious, you know, that it's obvious that it's very useful for plenty of other tasks. Um, and the fact that its hash rate was like, I forgot what the hash rate of the original 3090 was. Let me just look it up real quick. Hash rate. Um, it can pull um, about 91 mega hashes per second. Um, so that's so. For instance, um, for us, for comparison, um, our 1660 Super has a hash rate of about like 30, you know, mega hashes per second. So that is, you know, three times as much. So our GPU is the GTX 1660 Super versus the, uh, you know, um, and then that consumes about 75 watts, I think. Um, you know, uh, and the 3090 consuming 320 watts at 91 mega hashes, it's very, it's a little bit more efficient and it's it pulls way much more 
like hashes per second. Um, and let me just check. Let's see if they even did anything to change the 3090 Ti. Let's see if it. Let's see if it does something. Um, uh, it doesn't really say, but wait, hold on a second. Uh, hello, Reddit. What is it? Higher than 129. Okay. So the TI model even um, is even better. So it's like they. All I'm saying is that the 90 parts of the 30 series are very much more multi-purpose than gaming. And they're not any better at gaming by a long shot compared to like a 3080 and such. Mm. They have way better purposes than just gaming. They don't do any better in that forefront. Anyways, I'm sorry for rambling. It's just I, I noticed that NVIDIA does this sort of thing where they brand stuff and it's like very, very just misleading, even to us as a consumer. You know, right? But not as bad as a shareholder. You know, we're just consumers. We don't really, we're small fish. We're like the sardines versus shareholders are like, a, can you eat shark? I don't know. <laughs> Uh, people always find something weird to eat. Like, I know people will sometimes eat crocodile. But, moving on from that... Oh, I didn't um, know you could, but it, apparently they do in Florida, I think. Yeah, let's move on from that for right now, because we have to get on to the next topic. And that is the fact that Apple's self-repair program is now available. And as of April 27th, it has been announced that a self-repair is now available, providing repair manuals and genuine Apple parts and tools through the Apple self-repair, self-service repair store. Self-service repair is available in the U.S. and will expand to other countries beginning in Europe later this year. The new online store offers more than 200 individual parts and tools enabling customers who are experienced with the complexities of repairing electronic devices to complete repairs on the iPhone 12 and iPhone 13 lineups and iPhone SE, third generation, such as a display, battery, and camera. Later this year, the program will also include manuals, parts, and tools to perform repairs on Mac computers with Apple Silicon. To start the self-repair process, yeah, they explain what this is. And these are also, you know, the same parts using the Apple Repair Network. And if you're wondering, the Apple Apple offer rental kits for $49 so that customers who do not want to purchase tools for a single repair still have access to these professional repair tools the week-long rental kits will ship to consumers for free. And yeah, this is clearly, clearly good for the player. Like, this is amazing. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't have much else to say other than this is great for those who are right-to-repair advocates, such as Alpaca. Yep, I... I... The uh, the fact that some companies like really restrict you in and even like way back when where you couldn't actually even you it would be not illegal but you wouldn't get a warranty if you tried to repair for yourself it's like they feel like we're inept when yes some people 
aren't as confident, but some people really can do wonderful things as a small time business repair tech sort of stuff. It's not like we're all unable to, I don't know, play with Legos or something or, you know, like, uh, these are very tiny Legos that need microscopes, but you know what I mean. Right. I know that if, if this thing was electronic good and I would slap the ever loving, I mean, it's, it's UFO. You want me to uncage it? You want to hurt? <laughs> that means yes, because you do want me to uncage it. You're you're gonna. So the joke was that the Hatsune Miku rubber duck that Hydra has, the little case that it comes in looks like a UFO. It looks like a very oval UFO, or like a like a. Uh, uh, one of those plastic bins you keep a rotisserie chicken in. Um, which, weirdly enough, it's another bird, but you know what I mean. Um, it looks like a UFO. So you've got the air, and you've got the troops, the baby metal troops on ground. And then by sea, you've got that giant um, rubber duck that has like a little like lump on it that you can have them ride in. So... All we need is um, a giant space laser, and I can only pray to God what the fuck that would be. I... I, I hope you sleep well. <laughs> knowing. <laughs> Just knowing. Right. But we do have another topic coming up here, and that is the fact that Apple, Google, and Microsoft commit to expanded support for FIDO standard for accelerate availability of passwordless sign-ins. This comes from Apple themselves, one of the companies in this agreement, and they say, in a joint effort to make web more secure and usable for all, Apple, Google, and Microsoft today announced plans to expand support for a common passwordless sign-in and standards created by the FIDO Alliance and the World Wide Web Consortium. The new capability will allow websites and apps to offer consistent, secure, and easy passwordless sign-ins to consumers across devices and platforms. Password-only authentication is one of the biggest security problems on the web, and managing so many passwords is cumbersome for consumers, which often leads customers consumers to reuse the same ones across the services. I am one of the ones in this camp. This practice can lead to costly account takeovers, data breaches, and even stolen identities. While password managers and legacy forms of two-factor authentication offer incremental improvements, there has been an industry-wide collaboration to, to create sign-in technology that's more convenient and more secure. The expanded standard-based capabilities will give websites and apps the ability to offer an end-to-end passwordless option. Users will sign in through the same apps that they take multiple times each day to unlock their devices, which is a simple verification of their fingerprint or face or device pin. This new approach protects against phishing and sign-in will be radically more secure when compared to passwords and legacy multi-factor technologies, such as one-time passcode sent over at SMS. And 
there there's a lot of things that go on with this, but pretty much the mo the biggest idea is, is that people just keep using the same passwords over and over again, and that they find that passwords are easy to, you know, cop take over from hacking places stuff like that, and by having you know more secure ways to sign into services and apps. It'll make it more secure and better for the player, as we like to say here on Godcast. Yeah, um, I I've heard of different ways they like, uh, you know, black hats have been able to like circumvent like one-time passcodes and two-factor two-factor authentication. Um, sorry, um, dance. It's, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not too knowledgeable, but I, I, I know it's going to be, uh, good for the player. And, uh, I knew it's, uh, I know it's going to be, I don't know why I keep on doing that, like, stoner accent. Uh, anyways, um, I don't know. I, I, I don't like passwords. <laughs> yeah, I, I never remem remember them. Yeah, so the so. idea—I was just briefly looking through this article, and the idea this article presents is that while there has been many of these passwordless attempts throughout these platforms, they're gonna make it so they're more seamless between you know Apple, Google, and Microsoft. Of course, yeah, um, which will which will be great because hey, if we have a more secure way that I don't have to enter the same code again. That makes no, things all you. the better. Mm -hmm. I mean, there is going to be hesitancy from some people who feel like such an approach seems like it will be less secure. But if they can find ways, like the artic this, art this art news article from Apple mentions, like fingerprints, pins, etc., to kind of ease the blow, I feel like that could go a long way to you know, making this better for everybody. Certainly. But we also have some stuff going on with Google, speaking of which, because they were in the in this article as well. There is various things going on with Google right now, and I feel like it would be worth bringing some things up, a lot of which are minor, but I feel like it gives us an idea what Google is going towards. So, like I said, it's all a bunch of little things that I feel like it's going to stack up to something a bit larger. At least two of the things are. Okay. So, once I get this loaded, we'll see exactly what's going on here. Let's get going here. And our first topic for talking about Google News is the fact that there are going to be new options for removing your personal identifiable information from search. As you see, this is from Google themselves, and they mentioned that you'll be have the option to recruit, request the removal of personal identification information that appears in search. And that for, it says how for many years, people have been able to request the removal of certain sets of personal identifiable information from search. For example, in case of doxing or information like bank or credit card numbers that can be used for financial fraud. 
Under this new policy expansion, people can now request removal of additional types of information when they find it in search results, including personal contact information like a phone number, email address, or physical address. The policy also allows for the removal of additional information that may pose a risk for identity theft, such as confidential login credentials, which when it appears in search results. The availability of contact information can be jarring, obviously, as it says here, hacks and stuff like that. And yeah. that's one thing too. It help. It can kind of help secure anonymity. Also, according to this article from Google Assistant, and that Google Assistant can now automatically change passwords. And what this essentially does is that it's gonna allow you. It's just like say if there's a site with a compromised password, you'll both get. The familiar change your password alert, and in some sites, an option for have assistant automatically change the password. So this is obviously big for you know trying to make sure your passwords are not compromised. Yeah, definitely sounds, um, sounds good. Um, I uh, I hope that though that if um, like if it's like a false. Uh, positive, I guess. You know that uh, there'd be a way to change it back of some sort. But, yeah, because uh, that's mentioned that you can't take control. Oh, okay. It's yeah, just, it's I, just, it, you you can take control at any point, but this will be helpful if you rather not spend time de devising a secure replacement sign. Also, too, uh, Google's cloud group from Web three team to capitalize on booming popularity of crypto. So this kind of continues the crypto trade from earlier on and the show that we talked about with the NFT crash and, and NVIDIA. And what's going on here is that Google's cloud unit is forming a team to build services for developers running blockchain applications as the company tried to capitalize on the surging popularity of crypto and related projects. Amit Zavery, a vice president at Google Cloud, told employees in an email Friday that the idea is to make the Google Cloud platform the first choice for developers in the field. While the world is still, an early, is still early in its embrace of Web3, it is a market that is already demonstrating tremendous potential with many customers asking us to increase our support for Web3 and crypto-related technologies. Pioneers of Web3 have created a set of decentralized and peer-to-peer -peer systems that they hope will form the next generation of the internet. It's a philosophy that challenges the current day of the web, controlled by massive corporations like Amazon, Google, and Facebook parent meta platforms. And yeah, I feel like this could potentially you know, help you know, with this supposed reemergence, what NFT could be, as we mentioned it earlier. But it also mentions here that we're not trying to be a part of the that cryptocurrency wave directly. We're providing the technologies for companies to use and take advantage of the distributed nature of Web3 in their current business and enterprises. So pretty much what they're saying is that they want to help build the next phase of, you know, mm -hmm. what this... Web three initiative is going to be. Yeah, and I'm just looking through this more, and it's saying how going forward, Google could devise a system other companies could employ to make blockchain data easy for people to explore while simplifying the process of building and running blockchain nodes for validating and recorded transactions. It says, yeah, that Google's tools can work on other competing environments such as Amazon Web Services. Yeah, so in other words, 
Yeah, it's like a Google Trails, Amazon Cloud, Cloud Green, but business is growing faster than its core advertising unit. Yeah, so I do think, like, obviously, like, this can be pretty good for, you know, the crypto segment. Not just crypto, but, you know, Web3, crypto technologies. I do think that, honestly, if this is going to help make that next evolutionary leap that we hope we'll have with a segment, this will be great. Certainly. Yeah. Um, Though I... um... I wonder how this would tie into the crypto crash with NFTs and stuff, though. I, like, I'm just slightly questioning, like, uh, I don't know about that. Um, yeah, I feel I like this could potentially yeah. tie in with it, considering that while the NFT stuff does use, you know, crypto technology, Ethereum yeah. blockchain and all this other stuff. And I do think that, you know, what's... You know, this these set of tools can be implemented, and that people can, you know, obviously make use of this stuff. Because as mm-hmm. I was mentioning, a lot of companies still view this this industry of crypto and Web three as an immense market. Like we both cannot deny that a lot of companies are going out this. We've seen Square go out through it, as obviously as we mentioned from Tomb Raider. Which why would you do this? There we go. And you have companies like Ubisoft obviously go after it with Quartz, which ugh. That was a failure. I mean I mean a big revolt anyway. And you have Konami with their NFT auctions of like Castlevania NFTs and stuff. And I'm just over here like the companies that are currently using this stuff, as I mentioned many, many, many times, is not the best implementation. Especially no. in the gaming industry. <clears throat> there are so many better uses for this, and I hope that the developers that will utilize Google's tool set that they're going to make available will be able to, you know, make applications and other technological leaps that will help further the Web3, cryptocurrency, and all this other stuff in the industry. I want to see it, you know actually could succeed but its current implementation is just not going well at least in from what the two of us have seen uh-huh. i mean obviously if anyone who is experienced with crypto wants to inform the two of us we would be happy to have you guys on the show and actually explain to us why this technology is very important and give us a more educated opinion like i know of a group of people that are very experienced. I'd love to have them on too. At least our side of the show. To help educate us on this stuff. Because we're just we're just more so interested in like the computer segment of technology. That's like our specialization is computer based technology. Yeah. Like graphic card, processors, RAM, how to build these super, super duper awesome gaming computers and in some cases, learning cell phone technology and stuff. We are not the most knowledgeable when it comes to this stuff, though I feel like by doing this show, we have become slowly more knowledgeable. We're just not perfectly there yet. Yeah, I wouldn't, um... I wouldn't specifically say that I'd, um... You know, that I'd be... Like, I'm not like, uh... I don't know. No, Steve from Gamers Nexus or any anyone in the uh, like uh, tech industry, you know, like that. Um, but I do know a 
good amount and i feel like i'd be able to uh you know i'd be able to uh understand you know how stuff works like that and be able to apply it possibly to like a job or something you know like being able to trouble troubleshoot stuff like this is i don't know like to me it's like um it's good but when it comes to nft stuff though um this has actually given me more knowledge on that side for like because like i could have just stood by and be like oh well this nft stuff is trash and terrible and not understand that it has uses that aren't being executed properly right now so exactly But one other thing we want to talk about with Google real quick is the fact that Google acquires micro LED startup Raxium to boost its hardware team. And the headline for 9 to 5 Google is saying it's likely used for AR, so augmented reality. So think kind of like, okay, you know, like what HoloLens was. Yeah. And they say, yeah, I know what augmented reality is. Yeah, so following rumors, Google announced at the time the article written, which was... May 4th, that it acquired micro-LED Raxium to join the devices and service team. The news was announced by Rich Rich Osterla, who leads Google's hardware and called Raxium an innovator in single-panel micro-LED display technologies. The team at Raxium has spent five years creating miniaturized, cost-effective, and energy-efficient high-resolution displays that have laid the foundation for future display technologies. Raxium's technical expertise in this area will like will play a key role as we continue to invest in our hardware efforts. Google said previous reporting from Mark said Google was interested in micro LED for augmented and mixed reality devices, as we previously noted. Put a little thing here. And this news comes off as details of Meta's competing efforts leaked earlier this week. Specifically, Meta is reportedly launching a second generation mixed reality headset which is geared towards competing with laptops and Chromebooks by 2024. That same year, Google is reportedly releasing its first unit, codenamed Project Iris. But yeah, this could be interesting. I mean, I also could see these micro-LEDs potentially to be used for, you know, Google Pixel screens. That could be potentially useful for, like, really high-quality screens. But AR also makes sense, too. AR slash VR. Yeah, especially when VR is so heavily utilized in things like you know one of Alpaca's favorite things, the metaverse. (laughs) But yeah, I do find that overall, with these four articles, we get a glimpse of what Google's aim was for the week, and that was let's increase the anonymity with users. Let's make things more convenient in case things get hacked and improve functionality that can relate with Web3, the metaverse, and all the and there's other hardware initiatives. This seems like a week of Google just improving consumer experience and improving their ambitions in the Web3 space. Yeah, it's wonderful. And you know what else they improved? They they um you know what what else they improved was is they allowed um 
they allowed you to uh to have ads on your youtube shorts which is very for the viewer yes so there's going to be a there's a couple of things we have to talk about so we're just going to compile some of these news we have for youtube and tiktok in this one segment here in the time tip, I'll label it as social media content, but just know that's all for like YouTube and well, TikTok. But we're gonna start with YouTube though, because that's what most of this news is all about. And what the article loads here, I can actually see what's going on. But yeah, there's a whole thing where according to Engadget. They're the ones that spotted it. Um, they say, with YouTube Shorts gathering significant momentum over the past year, Google now experimenting with ads on the platform. Bloomberg reported. At first, you'll likely see app install ads and other promotions, according to Google. While it's still early days, we're encouraged by initial advertising feedback and results, said Google Chief of Business Philip Snyder on an investor's call. Shorts, well, it obviously just gives shorts, a history of shorts. Now, YouTube based expectation by good margin, posting $6.7 billion in sales compared to the $7.848 billion investors were expecting. And it said, along with YouTube shorts, a bright spot was the YouTube TV core cutting subscription service that continued to deliver substantial revenue growth, the company said. So, in other words, YouTube TV is growing, but you're going to start adding ads to YouTube shorts, which I think is, it puts it more in line with what YouTube actually is. And I feel like it's showing that alphabet slash Google is trying to focus heavily on shorts. Certainly. Yeah. I think, uh, like I said before, the short top, the, uh, short term content sort of stuff The you know, the creator itself with the, short of a very tiny amount of time can create a quality video for the viewers um and the viewer itself can you know they can just watch the video and be done with it with it less than a minute or in a minute or so mm-hmm. so i i i can understand why they'd want to profit off of the short form the short form content i'm having such a difficult time saying that but you know what i mean yeah of course but while they're also prioritizing on shorts we have to deal with the fact that youtube go which is supposedly a lightweight app on youtube of youtube is also going away in august so it shows that the, in terms of the youtube space more emphasis on shorts less excess less emphasis on accessibility of youtube and that they're not that today they are as of May 3rd, announced that YouTube Go will be sunsetted beginning in August. To access YouTube, we recommend that YouTube Go users install the main YouTube app or visit YouTube.com in their browsers. In comparison with YouTube Go, the main app provides a better overall experience as well as offers features that aren't available on YouTube Go that many have asked for. Ability to comment, post, create content, and use dark theme. And it was designed in launched in 2016. It was designed for viewers in locations where connectivity, data, prices, and low-end devices prevented us from delivering the best experience in the main YouTube app. YouTube has invested in improvements to the main YouTube app that make it perform that make it perform better in these environments while also delivering a better user experience, which is inclusive of our entire community. 
So proof of it is that they think that, hey, our improvements to the main YouTube app is good enough now. That we could get rid of this YouTube Go app. Mm-hmm. Which, don't get me wrong, I mean, a very lightweight YouTube app could be potentially useful, especially if you don't want to deal with constant comic boxes all over the place. Like, you just want to get to the bare minimum of just being able to watch your videos and get out. This seems like this could have been useful for that. But yeah. it seemed like their priorities just shifted away from that, and they want to get people onto shorts as well, which I'm not sure if YouTube Go actually was capable of watching them at, in, at the way they were attended. Yeah, um, with YouTube Go, um, I, I've always liked light apps. I don't know. I just, I've always liked the idea of just stripping away whatever is not necessary sort of stuff, you know? Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, you know, I was, uh, I recently ran out of mobile data for the first time and I've experienced what 2G speeds are like. Now I wish YouTube Go was installed because I would be able to like, uh, just be able to watch YouTube and not worry about anything else and just do whatever. And right. watch it like my the wonderful 144p experience. Yes, I mean you can always enjoy the one 144p experience of at 15 frames per second, no less. <laughs> I swear it throttles down to 15 frames if it can't handle it. If it knows you're on a very slow connection, <laughs> it's insane. Right. I mean, also, I mean, you can always, you know. Just get the best possible experience on YouTube Go. With Blue Alpaca. You can leave now. <laughs> on YouTube Go. <laughs> Uh, like and subscribe. <laughs> yes, like and subscribe to this video and particularly so we can make sure that Fluff Alpaca can have his Felix from RE Zero plushy body pillow when we get huge. No. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's one thing to say that, it's another thing to mean it. And I mean it. I would love one. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Anyways, let's go. Right. Um, we have like one other thing to talk about. That TikTok is actually introducing its first ad product to offer a revenue share with creators. Now, oh yeah, by the way, post R34 for episode 34 in our Reddit. Dab. Of course, right. yeah. The Hydrate 99 Reddit. The official ready for not only myself, but for all my friends that want to use it, including Fluv Alpaca and hopefully one day to the Serpent guys. But they're very big right now, and they're off doing big things. Like hosting a pizza party in New York City on May 22nd. I really wish I could be there, honestly. I don't know any of them, except for probably like Vanguard, because he's in the Discord and such. But even then, I don't even know him that well, so. 
but I'd love to just be there and be like pizza, <laughs> NFTs. I'd probably get like a rock thrown at me though because of my view on it. Uh, believe me, the two of us are both in the same camp here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but anyways, uh, TikTok is introducing a new way to alert advertisers to its platform by giving them the ability to showcase their brand's content next to the best videos on TikTok, have news, fonts, presentation, and advertisers scheduled for this afternoon. TikTok announced the plan of TikTok Pulse, a new contextual advertising solution that ensures brands' ads are placed next to the top 4% of all videos on TikTok. And it's notably the first solution that the, that's an ad product that involves agent revenue share with creators. The company said creators and publishers with at least 100,000 followers on TikTok will be eligible for the share program during the initial stage of the TikTok Pulse program, with a 50-50 split in the ad revenue with creators. It'll launch in the U.S. in June 2022 with additional markets in the fall. But the funny thing is that this, apparently, from when I saw this, I think it said it was like the top 4% be eligible. Yeah, I think, let me see if I can find yeah, it. Yeah, it was, it was in the first part. Uh, it's on the... Yeah, right here. Uh, there you go. That's just branch adds place to the next to the top 4% of all videos on TikTok, which I'm sure there's a bunch of videos, don't get me wrong, thousands and mil probably hundreds of thousands of videos. And this could probably end up being like 4,000 videos or 8,000. Who knows how many videos are on TikTok? Yeah. All I know is that that number has got to be pretty, it's still a very low percentage of people that can be eligible for this. Without a doubt, yeah. But it's a step in the right direction, though. I do think this is a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And it says it. Yeah, and it's not too. It also mentioned that last December, TikTok also debuted an online career next portal where it organized all the tools creators can use to make money on its app in one place. Here, the creator can learn about how to accept virtual gifts and payment from fans viewing their videos in their live TikTok content. And they can also apply to the creator marketplace to detect their brands for sponsor content. They have at least 10,000 followers. So it seems like... <clears throat> yeah, so as I mentioned, it wants to be something similar to the YouTube partner program. So, I mean, hey. I don't know how... I'm sure there's a lot of people on TikTok. Don't get me wrong. But, I mean, this is still a step in the right direction for increased viability for TikTok creators. But they have to put a lot of work in or find how to make the most viral videos to make this work. Yeah. Like, it'd be funny if one of these days, like, if I decided to make a TikTok and I transferred all of the Godcast shorts over to TikTok, how well they would do. I don't that think... break loose. I mean, it'd be funny if I got like a hundred thousand, like a couple hundred views just for doing something yeah. stupid. But I don't think it would do that great unless I kept doing it over and over again. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, this is a step in the right direction for all those that use TikTok. While it's not that many people, I at least, it, you know, it's a way for creators to get themselves out there on the platform. Definitely. But 
while you know we have a platform that started to build has continued to build itself up like tiktok one potential platform is going away and this is something i personally want to talk about because while most of my audience will not know about this um for a while i've actually had my podcast uploaded to this facebook podcast no service. Mm-hmm. And I think for a while, that's where I got a massive boon on my audio side before I started to really taper off. I don't know if it's specifically that service. But I did notice that as soon as I uploaded it right to Facebook podcast, it just boomed for a while. And obviously now it's faltered off quite a bit. But that's okay, because, I mean, obviously I've been putting a lot more focus on the video form of the show, which is on YouTube. And, well, I guess I'll mention it now. Eventually, Godcast, the video version, will be available on on Facebook through the High Joy of 99 Facebook page that is currently still in construction. I... I don't have a tag for the Facebook stuff yet down here because I don't want people to see something that's still in in the works. Of course. But when the time comes that, you know, I get the video version up on Facebook, you guys will all be able to get, you'll all be notified that, hey, this will be available on Facebook. (laughs) And one of the things I was hoping for with this before this news came out was the fact that Facebook will be the one place where you have both the audio form and the video form in one place. But the audio version going away, well, that's not necessarily going to be the case. Anyways, uh, let me get to the article itself. And it mentions here how Facebook will shut down its podcast service on June 3rd. And this is because apparently Facebook has confirmed to Bloomberg that will wind down podcasting, sound bites, and general audio hub. It will no longer podcasters add shows to Facebook as of this week and will remove them entirely on June 3rd. The hub and sound bites will close sometime in the coming weeks, while live audio rooms will fold into Facebook Live. And they say that a meta spokesperson characterized the move as a matter of concentration. The move will help Meta focus on the meaningful experiences, according to representative. And they mentioned that there were hints in recent weeks that Meta was losing interest in podcasts and shifting attention to hotter products like Facebook's main feed and Instagram Reels. There was a good response to audio services of Meta's and told Bloomberg in mid-April, but the news outlet sources said the social media firm was more interested in highlighting the Metaverse and shopping when talking to podcast partners. Specifically speaking, Meta's interest in conquering AR, VR, and rivals like TikTok may have pulled them away, attention away from audio. What well, just great? They killed a podcast for freaking Metaverse and VR Chat Plus. How delightful. Sorry. <laughs> Literally, they just killed off podcasts on Facebook just to focus on VR Chat Plus. That's 
I mean, I mean, kind of just coexist, I guess, but eh, whatever. Right, like, don't get me wrong. I understand that Facebook is a trend slash bet as a trendsetter. Like, they wanted to mimic Clubhouse. But I guess Twitter Spaces and Reddit Talk just were more popular options than Facebook's podcast offerings. And ultimately, they just like, eh, we'll move on to getting back to the metaverse and NFTs and crypto. Yeah. Woo! Just kidding. Nah, no, no, not really. Woo, I guess. That's why I, I said mean, just kidding. Them. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, it makes sense. They are meta. They're not uh, podcasting and all that stuff. So, so yeah. I get it, but... It know. will kind of stink to, you know, not be on the audio side, not to be on Facebook, but... At least when but, the Facebook page is ready, all the video content from the Hydrate 99 channel video form will be on that Facebook page. And when that time comes, I will make sure that there's a thing that says, hey, all of our content on Facebook, go check it out. It's going to be a great old time. Definitely. I feel like, though, that um, it makes sense as a, you know, like focusing on metaverse stuff. But personally, I feel like... Uh, I feel like it was not their priority anyways, you know? Right. Uh, I, I just, I'd hope that, you know, I don't know how to put it. Well, I guess I at least, having... yeah, I was going to say, well, at least one company is trying to experiment with the metaverse. And ladies and gentlemen, Spotify Island and Roblox. Sorry for cutting you off, but I wanted to get to this one. <laughs> it, it's all right. You didn't have to cut me off. I just shut my mouth as soon as I heard Spotify and Roblox. <laughs> yeah, so once the article loads, we will get right into this because this is a pretty weird thing to hear. So, ladies and gentlemen, we're getting close to our, sh you know, what we call the shit post segment. As I'll pack inside as alpaca decides to hide in the corner. Yeah. No, no, no. no. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Why is Spotify and Roblox? <sighs> so, pretty much what happens is that Spotify announced that its venture into virtual worlds coming via a Roblox interactive space called Spotify Island. The setting is a place where users can create music, chill in virtual venues, and get access to exclusive virtual merchandise and to viewing today. At, well, as of May 3rd, so it's uh, this thing's already out. Yes, you two alpaca can go under Roblox, find Spotify Island, and have fun in it. <laughs> I, I'm never... I'm never making a Roblox account. Ever. I got poison banned years ago. <laughs> I'd rather crack open a cold one with the boys. So you're saying you'd rather live in a world where you're flooded with this in an entire bedroom than be on this Spotify island? <laughs> and you're still hiding in you're, the corner. You're lucky I put up with you. 
What is why does this look like a drive-in theater, by the way? It looks like something that would come out like one of those enchanted fairy tale stories. Literally. That and a drive-in theater. Literally. Anyway, so Spotify has given its island a design that's true to its brand. Lots of green with shapes, colors, and icons are recognized from its apps. These are all part of the game as well. You could collect heart-shaped like icons for free merch. So, for example, speaking of digital goods, Spotify says the exclusive in-game virtual merchandise will give artists a chance to connect with fans in a way to earn money. The company explains that a portion of sales will go to the artists, though it didn't specify a percentage. It did say that it had already collaborated with some acts to create a collection of items that truly reflects who they are. Oh my god, this, oh, this is this is Alpaca's jam. Watch this. Spotify says its first themed experience will debut in a few weeks. K-Park, a nod to K-Pop, will give users the ability to interact with artists such as Stray Kids and Sunmi. This is surely the first of many of the Hangouts as the Metaverse as a concept is just getting started. You don't have to wait till, until K-Park starts to buy things either. Sunmi's merchandise will be on sale today with item for Stray Kids coming soon. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> if only I could show my face on camera. Be a big demonetized part. This is this this is satanic. This is all nope. This is all absolute right off. Fuck right off. Oh shit, that's the wrong thing. Uh, like, I would rather just be like, I'm not catching the K-pop disease. <laughs> just kidding. I already did. Oh well. Sorry. Anyways. Uh... I mean, hey, at least it's not, you know, at least this wasn't included. I'm sure Alpaca was happy about that one. At least this wasn't included. <laughs> and meanwhile, I just witnessed my video feed just flash for five seconds. Uh, fun times. Yeah, I saw that too. I was like, wait, where'd she go? Yeah, it's like, it was a very brief flash. It was very weird. I, I'm sure the video people are going to notice that. But. Hey, yeah. at least it didn't impact too much of the audience, so I'll take it. Yeah, I guess so. But this actually means that we can get on to the final topic and the one that Alpaca really wants to talk about the most. I don't want to know. Wait, what is it? Microsoft oh, yes. opens 3D Movie Maker. Wait, you're so you're saying it's not K-pop? It's not K-pop. It's not baby metal. Just 3D Movie Maker being open sourced. Oh my goodness. That is amazing. <laughs> okay, so, so yes, I saw this out of the corner of my eye one day. And then I was like, 
oh my god, 3D movie maker source. And, and yes, they, they literally released it. They released the 3D movie maker. Um, they open sourced it. And this is a software where you can basically create your own sort of cinema, cinematographic sort of things. And, you know, personally, it might not seem like much because it's old and all that and it's terrible like pixels and all that but if you can look past that you can create amazing experiences such as blue shell incident <laughs> yes that is right you you too can be struck by a blue shell while also getting uh uh well also garfield um Pulls a gun out of and, and all that. Anyways, uh, I so uh, the only way I know about three D movie makers literally through through that certain move search of Lucia incident. It's the best fucking thing ever. It, it's a masterpiece. Cinematographer little. Right. Anyways, so we got to that, and so how did this all happen? How did open? How did 3D Movie Maker become open source? Well, according to Angaja here, what happened was it was all thanks to someone that asked that so someone who asked on Twitter. Foon, whose Twitter profile says they're a hardware and software necromancer, asked the tech giant for the source code to the program so they could expand and extend it. Microsoft didn't own the BR B render engine it runs on, which potentially posed a problem. But the one who does own it told Foon that he would be happy to open source it if he could find a copy. But someone out of randomly in the blue kept the copy of the engine and Microsoft was able to release the program's code in its entirety. This is a win for Linux. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. I couldn't help it. Uh, anyways. Uh, so according to Scott you know, Hanselman, he mentioned, Hey, friends, we've opened the source code to 1995's Microsoft 3D Movie Maker. Thanks to Jeff Wilcox and the Microsoft OSS office, as well as our friends in legal and those who continue to put up with me being a nuts. Thanks to Foon for the idea. Enjoy. And 3D Movie Maker, which is 95.5, gives users an easy way to create film by placing cartoony figures and props into pre-rendered environments. According to PC Gamer, Food plans to update the program so it can run on modern PCs, as well as add features to make it easier to share the resulting videos. I'm expecting I'll get the basic modernized version in the next month to a few months, depending on how many issues I run into. And the original source code for the product is now on GitHub, made available under the MIT license as open source. As Rob Paper Shotgun notes, the program's B-Render B engine was also used for games such as Carmageddon 1 and 2, so the code's release could potentially lead to fan updated versions that can run more smoothly on modern computers. 
Armageddon. Didn't AVGN review that? Give me one second. <laughs> I'm not sure, but I mean, hey, I mean, if he did, I mean, that could be pretty interesting for that very niche community of gamers. He did. He reviewed Carmageddon 64. Oh, there you go. So, Flip Alpaca, what do you think of 3D Movie Maker becoming open sourced? Um, all I can say is, uh, Varg Shroom represent because that's the only tie I have to Movie Maker. Now, the other question is will you be downloading the software on your computer once it becomes available? Uh, maybe. Maybe. I, I might do a stupid stream where it's just like me dicking around in it and create stupid shit. I mean, but who knows? Maybe, maybe this will include. You know. I'm going to write a fanfic about you and those ducks. Well, Son speaking of, of which, we actually can. So to keep up with the theme of R34, we're going to revisit a game we played back in episode five. Yeah, that's right. It's been almost, it's been 29 episodes. Since we played this game, but with this being rule 34, we figured this would be the best time to make it happen. So I present to everybody Frantic Fanfic. The game where you too can write fanfic about Sonic OCs. Just kidding. We're not actually going to write about Sonic OCs in the show. Okay. Wait, do I have to log in? I don't think you. I, if if done correctly, you should still have your profile still on the uh, still saved from that episode. Oh, I see. All right, on seconds here too. <laughs> So I'll have my thing saved. I'm, I'll just be streaming from my desktop and Alpaca. I don't know how you want to do your perspective if you'd want to, but I can just show up from my perspective, I guess. Um, if it's okay, could I? I don't want to screen share it, actually. I'm afraid of screwing. That's uh, fine. Yeah, you, you'll have to if you don't want to. Yeah. Yeah, I'll let you not have to if you don't want to. Plus, yes, the classic and submit. Mm -hmm. Oh, did you already close the Um, game? All right, you create. No, are you? I'm sorry, what you said? You said you did or you didn't? I didn't. I I just have my character all set up. It says uh, create game, join game. 
Do you want to create a game or no? I'll create it. What the hell? <laughs> so do vanilla. Yeah, we're going to do standard. Fuck it. Yeah. And let me know what the code is. Oh, It'll definitely. expire after this, so don't worry. All right. No, we don't need quick start guide. Uh, game speed. Uh, we'll leave it at regular. Oh, we're leaving it as a mature. Definitely will mature. We have some stupid things we want to say. Optional things. Uh, uh, yeah, we do. Uh, we do basic, spicy. Ooh, I like that. Basic and spicy. Ooh, they have moderation. No open lobby. No. Yes, yeah, a very good segment here to start off a round of frantic fanfic. In Spice. honor of Rule 34. And once I get the code... I'll be good to go. Okay. Uh, it's loading now, and... Alright, perfect. So, the key alpaca is A-W-S-E. Hello. <laughs> Bloop soon, A. Perfect. Um, yeah, so... We got somebody here. That's our good friend Floof. And that is me. Of course. And once I find out where this book is, we'll be good to go, guys. Apparently, ah, there it is. Oh, you just gonna scroll. Down. Yeah, and it just took a little Hopefully, bit of time for it to like load. Alright, so really. I need to write some characters. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oh, great. Um, shit. Obviously, the, tri the the things have changed a lot since episode five. The humor is all different. Yes, sir. Perfect. Wait, no. No. So we're just waiting for you to make come up with your characters. Okay, one second.
uh, hasn't been done for so long. I mean, we could if we really wanted to make had make this a spiritual successor to episode five, we would have just added inspire bots this whole thing too. But we're not doing that for this episode. We'll save that for another episode. Okay, one second. Uh... Now, guys, if you are audio listener that's listening to the segment, uh, there's a lot. This is going to be a heavily visual segment. So you may want to either tune into the video version or just try to understand what in the world we're doing. One second. Um, all right, all set. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Metallica verse. <laughs> oh my god, I'm going to do uh this one and this one. All right, I'll do this one, I guess. It's going to be fucking terrible, but okay. All right, everybody. So let's tell us our. Let's read the stories. I'm gonna re read this one first, cause boy, this is a spicy one here. Take a look at this. Mario and the quest for a three-way. And yes, by the way, we did skip out a lot of the the composing of the story part. We did find that to be absolutely silent. Yeah, silent. We're just brainstorming. Absolutely. So we decided this time, unlike what we did episode five, we would just cut that whole segment out. Yeah. Just out of uh, consistency, so it's not boring. Right. So, audio players, you are going to be thankful for this. Video players, uh, I might make this a BTS segment so you can actually see it. Who knows? Anyway, let's get on to the reading of this. I'm going to read you the first one here. Mario and the Quest for a Three-Way. Super Mario World is a brilliant game made by Miyamoto. Using the gods of rubber ducks and hentai, he used these influences to come up with a brilliant game. It involved Mario trying to find Bowser and have a three-way with Princess Peach. What will he do to complete the quest? By jumping off Yoshi as he falls into his inevitable death, screaming agony as he realizes he will eventually land. Or not. <laughs> the Sunday Battle Spider-Man's remains across the fucking... <laughs> I read this thing detail on Blood Uncle. <laughs> ugly green shit. Otherwise, beautiful exists. Mars says he fell. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do that. That. Fuck are you... Miyamoto thought this was brilliant game design. The FBI then came into a true Miyamoto in the making of the game, citing his obsession of hentai as destructive to a children's video game and had to scrub it all 
scrubbing of all pornographic influences, though Yoshi still evaded his taxes. Mario, realizing he cannot have a three-way with Peach and Bowser, thought it would be a good idea to bounce between dimensions to stop the FBI from altering the motives of the game, and so he could have his wildest dreams fulfilled. <laughs> Mario then went on a short journey to Magikoopa's lap and bludgeoned Magikoopa's skull with a golden hammer, and then set white... Phosphoric upon his conscious remains, ensuring he would feel a taste of what pain hellfire inflicts. He then injected a one whole time mushroom into his cockpit and found himself an hour later in a hyper realistic world. He knew one thing if I'm gonna punch a hole in Peach, I'm gonna need a big gunner. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Leaning heavily into the Italian New York accent. Right. I'm not gonna need the big gun. <laughs> so he realized he jumped into the world of Los Santos, the world of Grand Theft Auto V. He then stole a car and drove to the nearest gun shop. There he bought all the weapons he needed, including a rocket launcher. With the portal nearby, he hopped back into the car and raced for the portal. Unfortunately for Mario, he was being chased by the cops. Upon reaching for the portal, the police tased him and put him in jail. With no other option left, Mario jacked off till he realized he still had all of his weapons. He used his rocket launcher to blow up the wall that locked him in. He then ran, since a car would be too noisy. He would then sneak into the portal, which brought him to Miyamoto. He found the FBI and with his weapons, blew them up. Miyamoto thanked Mario and allowed him to go back to his world. He was able to go through all the worlds and have his three-way. The Mushroom Kingdom has been saved, all thanks to Mario. God, this is really an 18-plus story. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. Um, I, I looked up Miyamoto smiling. I wonder if I should just show a picture of him smiling. I might get sued by Nintendo, though, so. Who knows? And now Thanks. we're going to read The Void and the Light. <sighs> this is going to be a fun one. This is going to be a fucking sad, actually. Terrible. Wake the fuck up, Samurai. Yeah, we got a city to burn. Be heard, slowly waking up from being knocked out by a random bombing attack unfurled by a hostile group. Fire. The attack was a group of Hatsune Miku fans burning the city to build a shrine honoring their goddess, Hatsune Miku. This was the moment that Fee sought justice. With the help of Flufa Paka, they went on a quest to destroy the shrine of the famous Vocaloid. The two hopped in the car and drove to Night City, where they went to a bar and watched a bunch of lap dancers get high on cocaine. There they also noticed the rabid Miku fans stormed the bar and they sought to flee the bar. What will the two of them do next? Will Fufa Packet date a rubber duck? Will V do something? As I spelt that completely wrong because I ran out of time. Alright. In a matter of seconds, the pair rushed out of the emergency exit. A hasty idea, and the fire alarm tripped, but an otherwise absolute as the fire alarm caused confusion and the fans believed it was their lord and savior, Hatsune Miku, singing to them. Floof and V hijacked a random taco truck and put the employee in a storage container where she screamed in agony. <laughs> okay. 
fall in the instant via Flufalpaca thought of their next move. Turned out Flufalpaca really admired V so much that he made love with them as, and they proceeded towards the middle of Night City. There they witnessed their worst nightmare, a horde of Hatsune Miku fans praying to the statue that was ju that had just been finished. The goddess mentions how she wants the world to be pure, bright, and cheerful, and all sinners must be slain. She then transformed the game to the Elden Ring, where all the monsters would go ahead and kill everyone in two hits. Both flew out back and we did not know how to confront this madness, but they do know that the goddess is now virtually unstoppable. And then Flu Alpaca got manipulated by Miku, and Sleep left her. V is terribly disappointed. And then I wrote the worst ending ever. It's the dark timeline. <laughs> that was the story, anyway. In all reality, Flu was somewhere in his will, slaving to Miku in any way she wanted. The world plunged into hysteria. <laughs> Media and Alliance condition a fabrication that Floof was endowed to Miku and married her. He, she says she is a god to the public, but she is nothing more than an errand boy in the day and a pleasure toy to Miku psychopathic practice. Few be hunted down for the rest of the days and guilty. <laughs> oh my god, yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. Oh, you won. Terrible. I won. Why did I won? I reacted to your images the most with the most reactions. Download images. Okay. Download texts. Okay. Let's do that. Yeah, so we can keep nice. these stories forever immortalized. <laughs> play again. Should we play again? I think this will be good for this time here. I think so. We'll definitely be doing this again, okay. though. <laughs> but with that being said, everybody, um, we don't really have a comment of the day, but I know I do have a shadow I am obliged to give because I was talking with this guy on Twitter, actually, of all places, and I felt like I was obliged to give him a shout out. And once I load my Twitter here, I will be sure... To make sure to to mention him in the video, and this guy is once I get this thing to load, and we'll know. Agg Snipes, yes, we were talking on Twitter, and I told you I'll give you a shout-out, and you are getting your shout-out. So, if you want to check out some cool streams, go check out AGG Snipes. I promise you he'll make some good content. And, just go have fun. Uh, Pack is like, what Sorry. the world just happened here? And I'm like... No, 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 no. It's okay. I, I don't mind it. I don't mind it. Yes, but but AG snipes being in the spotlight when it comes to like I, I love being able to put people in spotlight, you know. So I, I I love it. I know other people would like it too, you know. Yeah, of course. So AG snipes. Um, I'll make sure one of these days we have the collab, man. I mean, it'd be great for us to continue chatting and 
learning from each other and how, you know, our market diverge. And I look forward to continued contact. Anyways, guys, if you like what you see here today, uh, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, follow us on any platform that the show was on. Also, too, make sure to follow us on the Hydrowave 99 subreddit and the Hydrowave 99 Twitter account. Also, join us on Discord where you, too, can post rubber duck memes for Floof Alpaca to take a look at. Links to a link tree to all which is down in the description below. I'm your, I'm Hydrowave 99. And I'm Fluffalpaca, even though I don't, I don't want rubber duck. <laughs> and we'll see you all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. Fuck Hydroid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Fuck you, no rubber ducks. Sorry. <laughs> uh, what I know you like to say, screw everybody else, but there, but I have to mention one thing. Um, oh, what's up? The one thing I just want to mention is, oh, and make sure I'm going to upload some of these images on Twitter too. But yeah, go enjoy some Blue Alpaca content right here. I hate you. <laughs> All right, goodbye. Good night, everyone. <laughs>